I'm Gabby. I'm Omna. I'm Tim. I'm Justin. And, and this, this is, is Comicsverse. Welcome to another episode of the Comics First Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Comics First CEO, Justin Alba, and I am joined by a very, very special panel. A panel to end all panels, full of friends, CV employees, and actually one CV employee and three friends. But who's counting? So... While we may host a slew of podcasts about X-Men, Batman, Marvel, DC, and Image Comics, it's always a pleasure to give some attention where it is due. And today, that attention is due on the graphic novel series, Aya, Life, and it's it's Yip City, right, Amna? It's not Yop City? I am uncertain. Okay. What do you know, Bintu? No, I don't. None of us know. Why don't we just why don't we just like play the the cartoon well, so we can when, in, see in the in the cartoon they say yip, like yipagon. Because yip. it's like a little bit yip. French, yip. you know? Yip. yip. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, like a U, like a like a soft U. Kind of yeah. like yip. Like if yip. you were French saying yop. Yip. 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 Oh, oh, you're okay. right. Yes. Okay. Yes, you're right. Oh wait, Amna, is that correct? Because you know the most French. Yes. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> oh, thank God, I was really sweating bullets there. <laughs> Okay. We are in awesome. trouble. <laughs> we are in so trouble. Uh, okay, so we're talking about Aya, Life in Yoop City. Uh, this story is written by Marguerite Abue and uh, her husband at the time. They are unfortunately not together. Okay, so uh, before we get any further, do let me mention this graphic novel was originally written in French, and there are a ton of Ivorian names in the series because it takes place in Africa's Ivory Coast. So I am bound to mispronounce something. I'm Everything basically that a person can mispronounce, I've already mispronounced. So I'm already embarrassed about it. So you can write to us, of course, at shame me at comicsverse.com and um i will whip myself and send you an audio of it i probably won't do that or respond at all but uh no i'm just kidding i'll respond i'll be happy anyway let me know what a moron i am you wouldn't be the first and you certainly won't be the last so uh speaking of last the last thing i need to do before i introduce my lovely panel is to tell you that you can find more podcasts just like this one original articles that tim writes who is on this podcast uh videos interviews and more over at uh comicsverse.com so be sure to check us out there now, if you do go to comicsverse.com and you check out our podcast, one of the first episodes ever deals with Islam in comics, and it stars none other than Columbia University graduate in philosophy, right, Amna? Is that what you studied? I studied English and comparative literature with a minor in philosophy. Jesus H. That is not easy, and I'm so glad I did visual arts. And It just uh, means I read and wrote a lot. Right? I just, I just took pictures, so you would definitely beat me. <laughs> um, I was like, what can I do to not have to write a thesis? Oh, awesome, visual arts. Okay, cool. I'll do it. <laughs> and now you're the HR director of a startup in San Francisco. I am the director of recruiting and retention, Ooh. which is different than hr i mean i guess it falls under the same umbrella but i'm i'm doing people operations that's awesome i know a lot about anal retention so if you have any questions about that i'll be free to help <laughs> you free to you know definitely help you with that so i'll be sure to write you an email please please do and just put retention and i'll know exactly what you're talking about in the subject <laughs> um so assuming i got all that right uh you were on one of our very first podcasts ever you know, you saw you were recently here to visit us in well, to visit me. Well, to visit New York, actually. Actually, none of those things are true. Just all, New York. all of the above. All of the all above. Of the but above. you were at my house in uh, or my apartment in around New Year's. So, mm -hmm. how have you seen comics first change from one of the very first podcasts that you were on? I, you know, I've actually been blown away at how much comics verse has grown, the reach that it has. I believe the episode that I did with you last was two years ago yeah and it was episode number four something very very early i think it was three and 
go ahead. What were you going to say? It was three. Was it three? Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, it, it was a long time ago. And now you've done over 75. You, yep. Right. And I think that watching the company grow and just seeing what you've you've done with it has been really remarkable. When you told me how many times that initial podcast had been listened to, I I was blown away mostly because I said, wow, I, I need to go back and listen to it. I probably said some really dumb things. <laughs> so many people have listened to it. But I mean, I think we it's, really, it's really awesome. Uh, honestly, I'm so proud of you and oh, really excited you. about what you've done with this, uh, with this little company. So congratulations. Happy to be back. Thank you so, so much. And it's great to have you back. And that is so nice of you to say. And trust me, I'm sure we all said some really embarrassing things that night. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I remember Jose had a, quite a few, but still oh, managed to be eloquent as hell. And like he I said, is. He's pretty. He's pretty amazing. Yes, I'm this fiance, of course. For those, the oh yeah, we, we're engaged since then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they met and fell in love and got engaged on this podcast. Um, <laughs> none of those things happened, but there was. Oh, anyway, I'm gonna shut up. Uh, move on <laughs> to the next thing. So, uh, but definitely thank you for that, Amna. But so next up, oh yeah, from our highest rated iTunes podcast ever, Bintu, not to be confused with Bintu from I uh, Life in U City. But uh, yeah, welcome back. Thank you. So you mentioned earlier today that you recognized a lot of your culture in the story. Uh, what were some of the first and most significant aspects of your culture that you found? Because you were so excited when you came in here and sat down. Yeah. Well, the first thing was the fact that the, there was Bintu in the book. Being like my family's from Sierra Leone. My name is Bintu. It's an extremely common name there. It's like having the name like, I don't know like uh, Mary yeah Mary so it's extremely common but when you come here everybody's like oh what a what a beautiful name what a beautiful name I've never heard that name before all right so then there's no type of like specialized like um you know like writing utensils that little kids get to say like John or like say your name on it there was nothing ever for me and so when I saw this book and the girl's name was Binto I was like yes and <laughs> looking at all the characters names even like there's so many common names like Fanta and Fofona all that stuff was very exciting to see that's really cool yeah is this the first non-Bintu Bintu you've seen, other than what? yourself? Like the first not her Bintu she's ever seen. Yeah, I don't know why I'm talking like. Yeah, I have because it's it's a, it's, it's a it's a common name in Sierra Leone. So like within my Sierra Leone community, there there are a lot of Bintus and a lot of variations of Bintus. But I've never seen it as a like a fictional character before. Mm -hmm. I've never seen it like divorced from my Sierra Leone experience. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you. So, Dr. Gabrielle, Gabby, Bird, Beans, you are here. And Am I, though? Are you here <laughs> in body or in spirit, neither or both? Is it just, I don't know. Are you here I on think the we'll material plane that Plato was talking about? I don't even know if it was Plato. Trick question. So, <laughs> so welcome back. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so... I should just say that thank you for hosting the podcast. That was the highest rated ever on iTunes. I'm actually just now finding that out. That's pretty cool. <laughs> he texted that, that's me pretty when awesome. he saw that. Yeah, you didn't tell me that until this moment. I did. That? It was a crap load of people. I don't want to say how many. Oh, no, no. You did tell me that people yeah. listened to it, but you didn't tell me that it was high rated. Hey, guys. Hey, listeners out there. Thank you for those really great ratings. Uh, you know, it really means a lot to me right here, right now. I'm doing a cleanse, so I don't have a lot to be happy about. So thank you. <laughs> And you'd like to thank God? I don't think I'd like to thank God. I think I'd like to... Okay, I'll thank God. I'll thank God. Thank you, God. Thank you. Sorry, I realized that was very blasphemous. Justin, I think I feel like you set me up for failure. I know. I, I, to be fair, like I think I was failing today, so I think... We're both going to win. We're bo everyone yes. here is going to win. Sorry, Eamon. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, Eamon is our Bosnian editor, for those of you who don't know who he is. None of us do anyway, so that was... Oh, I wanted to talk about something really quickly, sure. though, because, you know, you asked Amna, like, the differences between comics verse, like, back in the day and comics verse now, and I wanted to tell the listeners something that they might not know, and... When we when when Justin started Comics Verse, he would have us record in a small shanty in an alleyway in in Harlem. And now Comics Verse, the the place of operations is actually a glass palace, and that's where we are now. So, <laughs> if you notice a change in quality, if you notice a change in the you know people seem happier, it's because now we're in a glass palace, and that's been the main change. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. Um and that was as real as my doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, I um, I like glass mm-hmm. and I like palaces. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we could do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so back to my original question for you, which was, <laughs> how is the experience hosting our highest rated iTunes podcast different from being on the podcast? I like control. <laughs> No, it was it was cool. It was really and and everyone on the we, I think we had been to what would you say? I think we had a good time. Yeah, very good conversation. Yeah, it was great. It it was yeah. I just had to come up with questions and it wasn't very hard because Incognito is such a cool book with so many you know, so many great questions to be asked. So that was really fun. Awesome. And thank you for hosting, co-hosting this podcast with me as well because I definitely needed the help. Hey, no problem, Justin. That. No problem. Yeah, uh, fist pump. Awesome. It's like my third fist pump ever. Um, today and so yeah of course last but never least and you're I'm, Tim this is our first podcast together as I was saying earlier and it's like your third okay. podcast with comic verse ever right second yeah because the other one was guilty pleasures which is going up sometime soon I yep. guess Jamie about it next week I've already sure. listened to it it's very funny I learned a lot about your sex life and Matt Murphy's yeah I mean we read <laughs> full disclosure it's because we were we read a book that had bdsm in it not because we just cavalierly talk about our sex lives on podcasts though that's not off the table mm-hmm. full disclosure that's a lie just kidding but it's a very funny podcast so i hope you all listen to it uh and tim you're all the way out in la uh interning for the nerdist and aya is kind of a departure for you in a sense because i feel like you're always you know coming in there writing about the dc comics writing about the marvel comics you know typically doing a podcast on similar comics so yeah. how is this difference uh, you know what was it like to come to this material well, I mean, I've read some foreign comics like Black Sad before and a couple like that. Leaf was another one. But by no means do I keep up with them constantly just because it's hard to know what's going on. But I think the difference with this one was that it was so starkly different from the other ones, which have at least some of a Western influence on them, whereas this was a completely different culture altogether. And it was, I wouldn't say eye-opening because I've met people from the Ivory Coast that have talked to me about this, but it's I think it was unique and really engaging to read a book that was so intimately about the culture there and was able to express it in a creative way also. I'm actually so glad you brought that up because a lot of what you just said is in my first question. Um, I, for years, worked with somebody from Ghana, and he would always say what frustrated him a lot about American media was the way Africa was portrayed, of course, in the news and in films. And that's something that uh, the person with the actual doctorate wrote about in the introduction. And I thought that you know, as I was reading, I'm like, you know what? This is not going to blow me away in terms of like culture shock. Like I, I get this, like I'm cool. I'm worldly. And then I felt like 
you know, I, that's exactly how I felt after I read the introduction. And I felt as though, you know, it wouldn't be something new. But as I kept reading, I found myself coming into conflict with sort of my own preconceived notions about what life was like in this time in the 1970s. And I was talking to you about it, Gabby. I kept I kept having to make like connections to Western culture to like make it make sense for me. And I didn't like that. Uh, I'm not sure why I didn't, but I, I we talked about it earlier. So, all right, let's dive in. But before we do, Dr. Beans is going to give us a quick summary of Aya of life in Yup City. The book follows three friends, primarily Aya, who obviously is the protagonist, the eponymous character. I learned that in English class. And we're looking at a sort of snapshot of the 1970s in the Ivory Coast. And the interesting thing about this time in this uh, country's history is that 10 years prior, the country's uh, received its independence from France. It was a French colony. And then in the, prece- in the, in the following years comes into a, a time of immense economic growth and, and prosperity known as the golden years as a, as a result of some policies instituted by the president at the time, which gave birth to sort of these cottage industries that were very, very lucrative. And so in the foreword, you know, the person who's written the foreword is sort of talking about how this is a mission to portray this really interesting time in the in the country's history and sort of provide an alternative narrative to some of the prevailing narratives about Africa and uh, African culture. So, but at its core, really, it's a, it's a, sort of it's a book about these three girls and like the adventures that they have and it's it's uh, even though it deals with some pretty heavy issues it's really lighthearted. it's really like bubbly and wonderful and refreshing so let's get into it let's get into it to make sense of it i kept having to make these connections to western culture and i guess i was just wondering if anyone had a similar experience i, I feel like everyone here didn't of course uh, <laughs> me but it's i had a similar experience to why the last band too and i was like oh my god i'm like i'm a feminist there's like i'm just what? gonna read this but because this is a feminist graphic novel i'm totally gonna get this and then like you know almost immediately i'm bombarded with my own frequency of notions and sort of figuring out that you know there are things I'm thinking that are like incongruent with my values. And what was a moment that you felt like? Give us an example of a moment you were comparing. I was comparing. I think the if your example, if you think about Ignacio, is that his name? Ignace. 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 Sorry, because I think Spanish. That's what I. That, well, that's what I assume. <laughs> I'm from Sierra Leone. My family's from Sierra Leone, and we were a British colony. So, like, I don't necessarily have the French, the French part. Yeah, the French part in me, but like, it seemed like Ignace to me. I guess I was thinking about Mad Men during that time and like uh, the 1950s and 60s and like how prevalent and how almost expected men, it it was sort of expected that men would cheat on their wives and women. And that was like a connection that I I was making. And I, and I, and I guess I was bothered by the fact that I needed to make connections to Western culture to understand this. I did not necessarily have that experience. Right. I think I just came in with such a level of ignorance about this period and the history of Ivory Coast and the Ivory Coast in general. I've never met anyone from the Ivory Coast as far as I know. The only point of like perhaps, I mean, I feel at, at, at another point, I feel like because the Ivory Coast was colonized by a Western European nation, there is, there are already like so many cultural similarities. You know, I don't even yeah. like my first question. Let me think of another way to ask that question and then you guys can answer it again. Okay. You know what? Why can I can I say what I wanted to say in relation to what you're saying? Sorry, but hold on. I, I, I thought maybe it would help you. Help me, help me. Okay, so for me, I, I thought especially going off of what you said, maybe it's because 
I am African is that it was hard for me to understand to, to think of it as in the 1970s. Like that was hard for me to think. Of. I have so, that experience like, as well. Okay. So like, I mean, I, I understood that like, you know, there are middle class people that live in, in Africa. Not everybody lives in poverty. And that's definitely one of the points that she wanted to come across. I think it was hard for me. There are like a lot of the things that were happening, like Ignace, um, cheating on his wife and what have you that's definitely a thing that is prevalent in almost every culture but yes in african culture or like the the marrying off the daughter like that is something that you would still might you would still see today because that is part of the culture and so it was hard for me to think of this as happening in the 1970s rather than thinking of it happening right now and especially since like even okay and this is one thing that maybe might connect to you is that like this is happening in Africa. So like when you are reading something that's happening in a different decade in what in like Western media, it is easy for you to recognize the time period. But when I'm reading this, it was difficult to 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 navigate that because like African um, fashion, it's not like it hasn't evolved. It's just that like this easily looks like stuff that people could wear right now. Like that's colorful. There was African garments. There were just colorful shirts and what have you. And like, you know, people dress differently in different places. And so I know in America, there was a different look in the 70s to what there's, the look is now. But I didn't, I couldn't catch that, grapple with that in the book. So, and and, and I didn't, feel, it, it, did, it wasn't too tough, even though I couldn't, grapple with the fact that it was in the 70s and not now it didn't really matter to me understanding the story or right you know what i mean i think mm -hmm. that i felt similarly in that there was no sort of like can i say the word temporal signposts yeah for me to like place it in a particular time yeah you know from being unfamiliar with the culture. And I think that I'm having a hard time putting into words what I'm trying to say and what I was feeling because I think what happened to me is that I opened the book and I see this, even this design on the first page. And it and it felt similar to when I read Jean Luen Yang's American Born Chinese and that there were aspects of it that were just foreign to me. And I think that that I felt uncomfortable opening a graphic novel where I felt it was like foreign to me, if that makes sense. Okay. Don't say uncomfortable though. It made me is feel uncomfortable. Where, it did make you feel uncomfortable. No, no, it made me feel uncomfortable because I already wasn't, like, aware of it. He's uncomfortable with his own ignorance. Yes. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I thought yeah. it meant you, you said, when I, just now when I was like, don't say uncomfortable, I was like, because it sounded like you meant, like, I was uncomfortable seeing this pattern in the front of no, the book. No, yeah, I was yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. I was uncomfortable because I'm like, wow, am I an idiot? Like, how come this, like, isn't feeling more natural Oh, I see what you mean. So you're saying, yeah. like, why were you not more aware of this time period and of this, like, cultural yes. mode? Yes. And, like, yeah. why why were you needing to have to, like, find outside references to help you understand this? Like, why? Yeah, I understand. That's, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. Yes. But you know what? I mean, what? like, right. when yeah. I was reading it, it was, like, I didn't really know when the middle class in various African countries started emerging. So like, I didn't know what to expect at all from this book. So it was a complete like left field kind of thing for me to be reading. And it was like, I wasn't, I guess I could say like you were, it wasn't necessarily comfortable, but it's uh, that I wasn't comfortable in a way that is productive. Like I'm open to seeing what's going on in the culture that they're describing because I'm out of my element uh, in a way, like not uncomfortable and like a, in that I don't want to accept it and that I'm going to like be ethnocentric or anything, but absolutely uncomfortable, like how, okay, I'm, I definitely see what you're talking about. I had no idea. And it's like, I'm a completely different place. And it's cool to see that 
there's literally something that's so different from what I know. All right, good. I think we're starting uh, to piece together what was behind yeah, my I, brain. Yeah, yeah, I totally see what you're saying now. Um, and, but, but here's the thing, though. I, I, I think that w- what you're feeling there is natural and you shouldn't beat yourself about it too much. Just to mm-hmm. provide some context, I mean, just reading some background about the author and about what was going on in the Ivory Coast in the 1970s, they, I think they were, they got their independence from... France in 1960. It's a developing country with a Western influence that, you know, how do you find your identity as a country and as a people post-colonization? And I'm speaking from experience on that one. My country was colonized by the British. We just got our independence in 1947, less than a century ago. And much of that post-colonization transition resulted, at least for us, in a direct war with the people of India. And that's how, you know, the partition happened. You know, everybody knows about the partition between India and Pakistan. And and so it, 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 the political aspects of, of that get very, very cloudy. But when you're trying to recover and trying to rebuild an identity, there are, I think, a lot of negative things that might sift up to the surface. But I think what I really enjoyed about Aya's story is that although there are a lot of unsavory things that are happening, bad things, we see the development of, of a young woman, you know, th- this new ideal that is being born out of trying to form this identity in this young woman. She's kind of a bystander, just observing everything. And I feel like just reading the novel, watching it through her eyes. And I think that the the animate, not the animation, sorry, the, uh, the drawings and the colors, it, it just really helped paint that very clear picture in my mind. But I find myself, I found myself relating to it in, in some ways as I was reading the story. And I think it's one of the reasons why I enjoyed it so much. But one of the endearing things about Aya, and especially about a lot of the female characters, is that you have this, this conflict, this desire, this universal desire to make your life better. But you see people going about it in a very different ways. And you see that not just in variance with the genders, but also in age groups. But then you have the main character who's just standing out so starkly. And it's almost like their version of the American dream that she's trying to live and accomplish within this this um, space that exists outside of, you know, being reborn, if that makes sense. So interesting that you also said American dream just now. (laughs) Why do you say that? I mean, because... Ivory Coast, because as you were just talking about, they just gained their freedom from France. And so like, I don't know, sometimes I, I find it very interesting because I know I do it also is like you talk about things in relation to your experience. And so because we're in America, you know, you think of like people, uh, people doing things the way I is doing it. You kind of you will say like American dream when it's like so interesting that like she has no experience of America or like connection to America in particular. Right. Well, I was I was making a an I totally, a, yeah. a, a comparison between yeah. the I two. I definitely I definitely yeah. get you. I just I, I I also personally find that like interesting when we talk about things like in relation to our experience too. Mm-hmm. I have to yeah. say I I and, had oh sorry, not to drop back. No, no, just and just a little bit more background on me. I am actually um, an immigrant myself. Yeah. So and I, I grew up in Pakistan like partial childhood mm-hmm. and then um, my family came here in the states. Oh, sorry, to the States, not in the States, to the States back in the 90s. Yeah. And so I I kind of find myself in this weird place where I'm growing up with ideals from from both places. And I, as a kid, was trying to absorb both the positive and in both places. And, you know, how do you how do you really do that? But a lot of my ideals, my ideology today, I would say is is very much influenced by Western. So, I mean, to kind of go back to the point that you just made. Absolutely. 
I think that's what I found too for me is that I kept trying to compare it in my head to like post-colonial Puerto Rico. And it's, you know, that's a very different experience than what happened here. And I don't know. I think I found, I don't know. I, I don't know why I had this, but I, I was almost angry at like, you know, I was like, oh, they're all Christian. They're all speaking French. And I was sort of bothered by the lack of the original culture that was there and that that, that that so much globalization had taken place. And I feel like that was sort of going into what I was thinking about before. Did anyone else have that kind of experience or was that you just know me being what? weird? I found that very true to form. Right. The fact that there was like a lot, like because you're looking at a middle class that's coming from from just gaining independence. And I feel like that was so true to form that like, you know, you don't, the men don't wear African attire or like just various things like that. I was just like, that is so true to form. They are not, they are not villagers. You know what I mean? Who would probably, who would have a lot more of um, the like, original like ivory coast like influences they are people who were in the midst of the french occupation when it probably was there and they're just they're now navigating um life without french presence but also after french presence which i think is what is the disturbing part to me but I also think that like there's a translation issue as well because because this was translated from French and like obviously we have a lot of the I think it's like sort of a pigeon sort of half French half like I guess whatever the uh, like traditional language in Yopagon would be like perhaps we are like some of the cultural references are lost on us that would refer to that original culture. I'm not sure if that's a heinous like. Uh, suggestion but also I feel like kind of like I to be mad at how like I to be mad at how the culture was presented in this book would be just be to be mad at colonialism in general which is like yeah I'm mad at colonialism but I also also, the thing is is that like this is now their culture right it's like like forever changed exactly exactly it's like yeah we can we, we can be angry about globalization and colonialism but now that it has happened it is now their culture Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that's actually what I liked about the book because, I mean, obviously colonialism's a bothersome thing to talk about, but I really appreciated that there wasn't a fantasy element involved in this. I was trying yeah. to like exotic, I was trying to like make African culture exotic to yeah. any Western audience. It was very much about representing the culture as it is through yeah. the good and the bad. And in this case, that was showing, okay, this culture is one that's very much a marriage between the colonial influence and its her- more can't even think of the word on native heritage. So I just found it was very interesting and I appreciated it more because I feel like you could get more into the history of it and more into the book itself by seeing just how these different layers of influence are working within this book, whether consciously or unconsciously. Just kind of going back to something that was brought up just a few minutes ago about this being the middle class and this not being villagers. I believe there was a scene in somewhere in the book and forgive me I don't have the book in front of me it's buried in storage when I moved to California and I have not been able to <laughs> dig it out <laughs> so I'm like darn it I couldn't reference it but where Musa's family goes to the village yeah. for a funeral yeah. and you you see how I mean obviously the scenery is going to change but there's a huge difference in in how the folks of that village are also depicted so I mean if yeah. we're going to look at what village folks and perhaps what a traditional Ivory Coast representation of people is going to be maybe that is a scene that we can examine a little bit more deeply I think also the wedding too um yeah. hit that point for me Tim 
And I actually really liked how they showed, like, they kind of looked down on the people in the village, you yeah. know? They're very much like, oh, she's a village girl, or they're from yeah. the village. Yeah. Like, it was very much, it was very much like, this is a middle class, and they're not, like, idealized in any way, shape, or form. It's very much like they have their prejudices, too. They don't want to be associated with, like, the, I guess, the lower class in this case. Because it and I thought that was a really good element to show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I just thought, like, it, it was a really great thing. Yeah. And I thought it was great to show that in the book because you get this, you don't, you clearly, there's obviously some sort of bias that's functioning here, but it's not so overt that you can, that it actually disrupts your reading experience to that, to such a degree. It comes to a point where like you can actually just, you can acknowledge that it's there and you know it's there because it's someone writing it and it's a creative work. But at the same time, there's so many elements of it that are showing that the heroes of the story aren't really perfect either. They have their imperfections and their things that they're going through. And I think it also helps break down that Western fantasy of what African culture is because you see these these aren't people that are just like beautifully tall like women with incredibly dark skin that's perfect and there's <laughs> nothing wrong with them and they just they're statuesque they're models like it's not any of that it's very much like these are middle class people they I mean I wouldn't want to say they're like you and me kind of thing but they have their own good and bad qualities to them like every person does and I think that was a wonderfully humanizing element to the book. Yeah, I guess two points. The first being that when we were talking about the issue of like the colonial heritage and stuff, I think it actually it's kind of a more of a sort of U.S. academic like reading of the book to 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 sort of remark at the absence of some like colonial strife and also perhaps is like a little bit historically misleading because what we're looking at is a kind of like idiosyncratic moment in the history of this culture in which which is like literally like the golden period in the history of this country and the and and we see the inhabitants are not bothered by like at least the you know the middle class inhabitants that we follow in the story are not bothered by like the lo- like a loss of culture or like a lot you know sort of grappling with this post-colonial identity in a w- in the way that it's presented in this book what they're just enjoying their lives and trying to get ahead and trying to you know take a seat at the table at this country that's you know coming into its renewed you know into this renewed wealth and i thought that was really cool and i think it's and it plays into the larger mission of the book that's mentioned in the foreword that's like you know when we talk about like african culture it's a very like problematic term because obviously like africa is massive but like what what we're seeing is like a snapshot of the culture in the ivory coast that shows us something contrary to like a narrative that's contrary to the narratives that we're used to seeing and then to the point of how the sort of traditional culture is is represented i really oh never mind sorry that's in the second book never mind oh but i will say i loved the references to people being afraid of like witches and like witch doctors and it was like i'm looking at bintu because bintu has told me a lot of great stories about this which i could i just say i'm afraid of witches i believe that they are real and i am afraid of them so that's what that I would was like all the witches to know if you're listening I'm scared of you. <laughs> you, should, you should never watch The Craft. I have watched The Craft. Oh. It's more so like a, it's it's definitely like a like old school type of thinking of like witches and people doing things to you and dark magic and all that stuff. And yes, I'm afraid. <laughs> what about Scarlet Witch from The Avengers? Are you afraid of her? Probably not because she's not like a. No, I don't. I, I'm not scared of fictional characters. Oh. I'm 
I'm afraid of if you go to the village and they say that that woman's a witch, you don't look at her in the face. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, Sabrina, the teenage witch. Okay. Yes, because Bewitched. I know. Have that you okay. been to the? She's okay. Have you been to the village and seen? seen so I, 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 okay. So the first time I ever went to um, Africa, Sierra Leone specifically, I went to the like Christmas time of twenty fourteen, and I did go to both my mom's village and my dad's village. And there was a point in time when actually I was in the capital city, and there were these people, these like tribal people. Um, like secret society people that they call them that um were walking through the street and they were like kind of like begging for money but they do it in this very scary way where they like they cut themselves they kind of scare you into giving them money and my mom freaked the freak i think my mom scared me more than i was originally scared because my mom like ran into this like um store she like knocked over their shit she like broke stuff in the store because she wanted to run away from these people because like if especially if they knew that you were from america they would like you know do their thing so that you think that you're bewitched and it could all be bullshit. It could easily all be bullshit. But I don't think it's bullshit. <laughs> I get so scared. <laughs> we ran with her, but I looked at the guy and I remember every time we'd pass that street, I'd get so scared that I would see a guy with blood all over him because he like cut. Like you, They do these rituals and stuff like that and it's like very scary. And like my cousin was like, oh, well, we're going to go to the village next week. Like wait until you see them there. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm so scared. <laughs> I okay, well, horrified. in fairness, I don't feel like you have to justify your fear of witches in that situation. Thank you, thank you. I'm just trying to tell like Justin because, like, terrifying. yeah, it's just like, you know, it, there's so much superstition involved. Like, when we went to the beach, actually, like, there are not a lot of people who swim. And it's just, like, the superstition that there are, like, things in the water. Like, people who live close to the water know how to swim because they're usually fishermen. But, like, mm -hmm. we had come from the city and went to the beach and, the, like, nobody was in the water. And I was like, what the fudge? And they're like, no, we don't go in because, like, there's, like, superstition around, like, the sea, the ocean. Mm -hmm. And which is, which is so annoying because, like, that would have been so nice to go into that water. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's it. I'm with you. I mean, those uh, those witches are it scary. Sounds like a terrifying experience. Yeah. yeah. I wish I had a witch story to tell that was... Uh, that's good, but I don't have one. All right, so I thought that the, that the sense of community and where they were living was, like, super important. I thought it was almost like a character in its own, and I was curious what you guys thought about that. Yeah, I mean, that was, I think, very obvious just from the moment that you opened the book. I think one of the first few pages is a map of all of the family relations. Yes. So that in itself kind of signposts exactly what a significant role they're going to play throughout the, the, the entire story. Mm-hmm. That was really helpful for me, actually, because yeah. <laughs> especially because they really they did not wait to start that story. It really took off immediately, right. assuming, you know, all these relations like they didn't take some like introductory time yeah. to really ease you into the stories like immediately. Oh, Bintu's pregnant. And you're like, whoa, this is a this is a lot. I mean, well, not a lot in like a whoa, I feel like I need this. This is like a troublesome part of the book, but like a like. Okay, you know that they're they're here to tell their story and they're not going to waste time doing it, kind of thing. So that family tree I thought was incredibly helpful. Oh yeah, I I remember at one point Justin had mentioned the Tonton name or um, title, and that just also goes to show it's it's very it's a very much African thing. It's like if you are familiar with someone and they are an older person, you 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 call them like I know for me, I will call a a male that I am familiar with who's older uncle and a female in the same way auntie so like in the book just like how they w would address like people like got men who are not 
blood related to them tauntaun it just goes to show community family without there being blood relation which i really enjoyed and i also found true to form also also uh, the sense of community operates really interestingly in terms of how the drama unfolds because it's always you know whenever there's a secret there's always a a sort of a like race to fix whatever's wrong before everyone finds out because it's inevitable that everyone will find out and and it's inevitable that like you're going to have to answer for whatever you've been doing you know behind closed doors or whatever and i thought that was really interesting and i also really liked how community was more explicitly described in the supplementary material in the back of the book which was really interesting because in the back of the book there are a bunch of recipes and sort of like just cultural commentary and stuff and i i thought that that was really cool like just people you know just you know talking about how the community giving giving a reader more insight into the community you these like using this sort of like supplementary material i want to try to make that peanut sauce <gasps> me too Dude, it I looks wanna, so good it looks and the ginger oh, juice yeah yeah i can make yeah. that for you gabby oh, my family you makes can make that. sauce yeah, that's like all this. All this stuff is stuff that we make also. Oh, my gosh. You know what I really enjoyed in the supplemental material is that when Ajua shows you how to carry your baby on your back. My yes. I remember like I remember that like as a kid that my mom used to do that with me. And when I like when I was a kid and I had a little doll, I would always try to do it. I mind you, I'd always forget that the doll was on my back. So like I <laughs> I tried to be a mom, but didn't succeed because I just watched TV with the doll squished up to the to the couch. But I remember like as a kid, never understanding how they kept the baby on their back slash. I didn't understand how they kept the like as they were putting the thing. It's for us. We call it a lapa. I don't remember what they call it here, but the piece of fabric. Oh, they call it a, a panai. But like, I never understood how they kept the baby up. And she taught me today. Ajua taught me in the supplemental <laughs> material. And that was very exciting for me. Does this mean that now you'll be you- carrying your baby on your back? Probably. Right? Probably. I will carry my that baby on my back. That little pictorial is actually quite helpful. I know. I know. Oh, I love it. So cute. I'm, I'm going to do that with some of the interns. And is it also in the supplemental <laughs> material where they talk about... I'm so small. Oh, okay. okay, we can do it. Is it also in the supplemental material? Oh, yeah. Okay. And that and so talking about community, Aya talks about um, gives like a whole speech in the supplemental material about how like the village literally raises the child and like the process of like pregnancy and how as a woman, like when you give birth, you have literally a team of relatives that will just do everything for you and will literally bathe you cook your food and you're just like queen for like a month and then how your baby is presented to everyone in the town and all your extended family and it just you know you get a sense of that in the novel without sort of like an explicit mention to like this is how our wonderful community works but then just to have it like narrated the the process of birth and the process of like the community coming together around a mother and around a new member of its you know community was just so cool and it made me feel so sad that that you know the communities that i'm a part of don't operate in that way and that if i were ever to have a child it would be a way more lonely endeavor (laughs) and i wouldn't have all of these eyes like watching out for my kid and like you know being as part of their nurturing as i was and i thought that was so cool i actually saw Aya with Bobby. Ca- yeah, who's the character who had the, the baby first? 
Ajua. Ajua. I feel like I saw Aya with her baby more than I saw Ajua with her, which I, which you know, and mm. Aya was happy to take care of her. So yeah. just to bolster your point, I, I thought I'd mention that. But I also think that Aya is obviously the like how the window into the community, right? So do you guys think that it was a, a successful part? Uh, it was successful on part of the creative team that we saw the community through the window of Aya. Do you think she was a good narrator? Do you think she was a good person to to sort of put everyone around? Been to I. The structure that you're talking about, I, I did enjoy. I thought that was fine. I just have to say the character of Aya, I actually did not enjoy as much as I enjoyed everybody else. I felt like Aya was a little too perfect. I, I felt like she didn't really have any faults, which I didn't enjoy. I know sometimes her friends made fun of her for being for being that way. And I, 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 I relished in that a little bit. But she was a little too, like, you know... I know everything where I'm right. All, I don't know. There was something about it that she didn't really seem like she had any real like faults. That's why I did enjoy. Like I thought it was very interesting that her her dad had an affair. And so she had to grapple with that. It, I like that because of the fact that like it wasn't like her family is perfect. Like is she, like, OK, she's perfect, but it doesn't extend to her family. I guess I liked I don't know there was something about her that was just a little too perfect for me she didn't have any faults uh Gabby I liked Aya as a narrator or as a like audience surrogate or whatever you want to call it because she is so she is so good-natured and I think her sort of non-judgmental empathetic worldview extends to how we view the characters and I found that a really warm lovely space to be in for the duration of the novel because obviously all of these or of the book rather because all of these characters have their flaws including Aya I would argue that Aya does have some flaws yeah. but we don't we don't they, they no one becomes discuss like no one is depicted so like monolithically badly or anything like everyone has their sort of hang-ups and stuff but you still feel for the characters and you st and i can't say there was one character that i disliked which really is very rare for me <laughs> usually there's one or two that i'm like annoyed by but really there were no characters in this book that i didn't like and i think with aya in terms of like whether or not she has flaws i think her flaw is that sometimes she doesn't allow herself to have experiences because she's so concerned with being right or being virtuous and it's not explicitly like dealt with in the book but just the fact that whenever mamadou comes in she just leaves and like has a sort of stinky look on her face like hmm. like i would say that that's a little like obviously there's a reason why she's leaving but she's not you know she's not like the virgin mary she's just really principled but i see what you're saying as well uh she, tim i mean i would agree with i would agree and i would agree with both actually because i feel like with aya what was interesting was that when i first finished reading life in yup city it was that i felt like i didn't know who she was as a person and i feel like that's because everyone else had all these problems that she was dealing with and so we didn't really deal with her problems which are then dealt with in the next book but that's not really covered here so i felt like finishing this one i didn't really have a good idea of who she was and what she actually felt emotionally whereas these other people i felt like that she kind of felt a little little bit cold but then when I thought about it later I was like no it's more so that we're so busy concerning ourselves with everyone else's more like dramatic problems per se that her problems that she keeps under the surface so much because she's helping all these other people that is her problem she doesn't let herself have problems per se that other other people are going to see because she's always the one that's there to support other people and then I felt like I really connected with that personally because she's always just like I can't do this I can't do that I have to study I have to go 
do this, I have to work, and all these other things, obligations, then these she doesn't really allow herself to consider the problems she has, I think. And so to an extent, we don't really understand who she is, but that's only because we know so much about what she does, and we can assume that she just doesn't have time to really waste thinking about herself and how she whatever problems she might be having of course those are addressed in the next book in some in some good ways some not good ways but i feel like all in all we get a better idea of who she is by not knowing exactly who she is than if we were to actually observe what her problems were in this book amna i think that those are good points i would just also like to add that something to consider aya does have problems the issue is that she has to deal with those problems internally and on her own because there is nobody that is presented in this story who can relate to her, who really truly understands her own ambitions for herself and is able to adequately support her from that level of empathy and sympathy. So she has to deal with this on her own while still existing in this world where she's kind of living in a parallel universe. She's a unicorn in in the community in which she's in. And again, going back to that symbolism of kind of her attitudes and and the Ivory Coast being in this weird transition post, post-colonialism, she, I think, is this representation of a modern woman. Everybody else's actions, attitudes, in some ways, though they're trying so hard to have the benefits of, of Western life and Western influence, but their attitudes are very much, quote unquote, old world. But hers, not so much. They represent modern ideals and Western ideals, and she's the only one. Everybody else is faking it. She's actually trying to live it and be it and embody it in a way that I don't see any other character doing. So I agree with you, but I think that there's a little there's it's more complicated than that for her. I just feel like I completely agree with you. Like she's just a very complex character and that this book, we learn all about her issues that she has because we don't really get to focus on her. We understand she's a very complicated individual from that. Like she, we just, since we don't know about her problems, it's because she just internalizes them so much, which I feel like speaks more to her character in and of itself. I argue that we, we, we do see her problems. She, they're just not loud. They're silent problems. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess, Looking at it from a, a feminist perspective, like, you know, I, I grew up in a family also where all of these things, you know, tend to happen. Like everybody's really loud, things are happening, but nobody understands what it is that I'm trying to do. But I have no choice but to exist in the space right now. And so I just I do what I need to do to get along. But nobody's there to help me because nobody can understand in what ways I need help. So I, I don't necessarily think that she is like a martyr you know, I'm swallowing my own issues so that I can help everybody else around me. It's just that, well, my my issues exist. Nobody else I can talk to about it. Nobody else can really relate and be able to help me. So I just have to get through it on my own while still trying to manage everything else that I have to, family, friends, etc. I definitely hear what you guys are saying. And I, and I feel that way, but I only felt that way after the second book. Now, I don't want to talk about it too much because mm. this is about the first one, but I feel... Just like how you had said that, like, you felt as though when you after you read the first book, you didn't really see her. She was dealing with everybody else's problems. And maybe those were her like that was her that maybe that was her issue that like she doesn't have time to deal with her own stuff. I felt that so much more in the second book. And I appreciated what was going on with her in the second book a lot more than this, because I felt this is we're watching we're reading a comic. It's not like we're watching something live action or we're not even watching an animation. And I feel like when I read a comic or when I'm when I'm reading a book, sometimes I don't want so I, I can get so much in my head about what I think that the, the character is thinking and blah, blah, blah. And I'm also thinking that I that also could have been in the book already. 
like Aya addressing like addressing the fact that she's dealing with everybody's problems and this is stressing her out. I'm mean, she's dealing with it internally could have been a panel in the comic in the first book. But I'm now internalizing it and thinking that maybe that's what's happening to her. And I that I think I didn't really enjoy too much when I was reading the first book. The second book I think deals with that deals with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, addresses addresses my issue that I'm having. I kind of in fact think everyone is sort of right like on a certain level because um, I would say I agree with you the most in that I think that Aya is extremely three-dimensional and when I think about who it is how it is that she wants to be seen versus you know how lonely she must feel by being so individual and unique for where she is uh, I think makes her really powerful and then with Gabby I do kind of see how or was it Gabby or Tim who said that she kind of stops herself from experiencing things relationships and, and, and stuff like that and that is kind of the, the flaws that I saw through her but compared to everyone else she sort of seems rather flawless right yeah. and also what gabby said about how warm she was and that i don't know it, it, it sort of made me more i mean there were characters i definitely didn't like i i was very upset with the father a lot um i definitely didn't like the boss of the father and and also uh is it greg war greg greg gregory i think Gregory-y. you still say it greg oh Gregory. <laughs> I, no, it's Gregoire. No, I'm kidding. I, you know, I think he was a character I wasn't quite fond of uh, as well. But anyway, I guess I sort of wanted to pose that question to the group. Like, how do you guys think Aya wants to be seen versus who do you think she is behind that? And Amna, I thought you had a, kind of a good idea with it, so I was going to start with you. But I don't have to. But I will. How she wants to be seen, I, I think. Who does she, yeah, that, who is she projecting to the world? I think she's she's projecting or she's supposed to symbolize social progress and in that regard i think that it is a good depiction of of a young woman who is trying to make a better situation or rather not better situation rather break away from the norms of her current society and of her culture in order to do something that she perceives to be better and I think that her struggle, her own internal monologue could have been amplified more, like Minto was saying. But I guess for me, I, I was able to see that even without it very, being very explicit. Like I, I was able mm-hmm. to sift through it and, and see like, wow, there is just so much BS going on around her. And I, I think that the author and the, the artist did a really great job of conveying emotion and maybe what's going on inside the character's head in a particular panel uh, of the comic without really needing to say anything. The body language, the way that color was used to convey emotion or or just a, a shift in, in something, I, I think did the job for me. And because of that, I felt like I was able to sift through and, and see this other aspect of it. So I didn't really need it very explicitly said, but that's just me. I will say that I'm going to invoke uh, Scott McCloud a little bit to explain the differences and experiences you guys had. Because if we talk about some comic book theory like identification through simplification and we insert sort of ourselves in some of the characters it makes sense why two people reading the same graphic novel are going to have two really different experiences and then um, another one of his sort of theories is closure sort of what happens between the panel what happens between the story and you know we can we all infer those things differently depending on how the artist chooses for us to infer them depict or sorry how the artist depicts that sort of whatever gabby 
Amna, I think I would have to agree with you in terms of how the artist use or the artist and the writer working together help to portray Anna's. Uh, um, sorry, I was like Amna and Aya together. You're <laughs> oh my god, you're Aya. Oh my god, uh, Amna yes. and Yep City. No, um, sorry, let me go back there. She'd be Amna of New York City. Amna in Lahore. Yeah. Oh hell yes. yeah! There you go. Oh yes. So yes, moving back. Bloop, 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 bloop. I would agree with you, Amna, in terms of how the author and the writer work together to portray Aya's inner monologue and inner internal life. And I think that one of the panels that really spoke to me in doing that was one of the first panels in the perhaps the first panel in the book where they're all sitting around the TV, like mm -hmm. watching the beer commercial and everyone is really excited about it and you know it shows sort of each character's sort uh, you know opinion and mood and then you see last that Aya sitting there like and what and she says and then there's me Aya 19 years old wondering why anyone would think think of beer as a vitamin and you just <laughs> see how everyone else is just like wow look at this great commercial and we're just, just excited about the TV and Aya's thinking critically and I think that that just sort of puts everything we're talking about in a nutshell yeah it starts it off from the beginning like boom this girl is different yeah and I think you could say one of her imperfections about her character is that she kind of has a little bit of a holier-than-thou attitude about a lot of that things. That is exactly and the word that I wanted to say, but I forgot. Really? You think she's holier-than-thou? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's just me picking up picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> you can't say she's holier-than-thou and also non-judgmental at the same time. I feel like that's a contradiction. I, but I feel like I feel like that's just what makes her a very complicated character because I feel like in a lot of ways I feel like she has that mentality about certain things like you can't do that that's like that's not very good of you to do like that's mm, like really Bintu you're gonna do that you're gonna what see this she, guy and like the beer commercial is that what like, she's I feel like doing she, though because if she partakes, I feel like if some go ahead hmm? sorry go ahead sorry. I feel like if she really, if someone is really in trouble and they come to her in trouble, then she's non-judgmental. Yes. But I feel like if it's someone who's just talking about something, she's much more judgmental and much more matter-of-fact about things. Yes. I, okay, so maybe I'm going to add some perspective here because there's, I think this is a cultural thing. And because there's a lot of similarities in this culture and in my own, you give advice like that to people that you care about that are in your life. Like that's just the norm. You get it from your aunts, you get it from yeah. your uncles, you get it from your siblings. So I, I think that maybe that's something that should be considered. Maybe what we as Americans perceive as holier than thou is just a cultural norm for somebody like her. Mm -hmm. And I and I would I would agree with that because I feel that Aya never reprimands her friends or people that she encounters from a place of wanting to to make herself feel better. And I think that that's what a holier than thou complex is. It's, you know, Agreed. when someone when someone says something because they want to reiterate their own virtue or their own, you, you know, and Aya is always giving her advice, although sometimes it's blunt and the people that she's giving it to don't take it well. She's always operating from a place of wanting them to do what's best for them and seeing them going down a path, which she knows will end badly. So when she's, mm -hmm. you know, kind of over been to talking about men, it's coming from a place of like, you know, we all have friends like that where like yeah. they're always running after some guy or they're always doing the same mistake over and over again and it reaches a point where you're like you need to stop doing this and realize what's important and it's not because we want to feel 
better about ourselves, it's because we yeah. see them making the same mistake a lot. Bintu, I have to say, now that we've been talking about it, I kind of see what you were saying more. Because I totally agree with everyone, but it's like, how can you be so awesome all the time? Yes. It's like, you gotta... F- up once in a while and she does yes. mess up and she does have flaws but she's 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 got it together so well that it's almost it's a little, it's a little yeah it's, it's a really together yeah i don't see discipline as a flaw though i see her as disciplined mm-hmm. she's focused no i, mean, I no that's I, my thing it's like you as you just said you don't see discipline as a flaw i just find it like then what is the flaw it's like this internal even the the panel that gabby just read and she's talk she's she says her internal monologue i just would have liked i don't because i'm reading a comic and like when i'm reading books i really enjoy when if i'm looking at something from somebody's point of view i would like to also like in in, and i hear her point of view a lot of times i would have liked to have heard that it was it was like bogging her down that she was the like she was my brother's keeper to everybody in her town i like because i could see that and i was in i was taking that in like oh my god she like she must be burdened by this but then i wasn't ever hearing her think it i I mean hearing her think it i wasn't ever like i had to take that in and and put it onto her like that you know and maybe she wasn't because you mean like you mean like you should you didn't feel like you should have to process that in order to understand her it should be yeah. made a little yeah and, and, a little and, and, bit and apparent because, as a character yeah and and I, it, it, sorry but like also and I feel like, like it's not so much mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's also a thing where like if i'm trying to figure that all out and then that is the thing that makes her a complex character i don't know there was something about that that like i had to i had to figure that out that like oh my god this might be bogging down bogging her down and then that is what makes her a complex character i don't know for some reason i was just like i, I didn't enjoy that 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 venue of yeah, I yeah. mean, I see what you mean. Maybe not holier than thou is the word I meant to use, but just like she's very, very firm in her moral stance on things and it's very unwavering, which I could see comes off as very cold and reserved and kind of distant from other people, whereas the other whereas the other seem much more, I guess, not boisterous, but um, charismatic in a very obvious sense. She's just, she's very much like you said, she's the my brother there's keeper kind of person for the whole town and so i feel like in that role then she has to she's always the moral rock for that town and so i feel like maybe it's not holier than thou but i but i feel like that could be one of her flaws in that she always is expressing it in that way and she's not very uh, she's not you could say she's compassionate but she doesn't always come off as compassionate if that makes sense you know like i understand it because i'm a person who is very blunt in the way i express things to people when it's very emotionally charged like her and but i also understand where you could definitely critique that and say well you're kind of being a terrible person you're being a little rude about it you could say it in a nicer way uh gabby amna oh amna first then gabby uh, just a quick point to what Bintu was saying about the desire for some outward expression of frustration at the situation. I, I totally understand. I guess the only thing I would like to add, this is not even a rebuttal, just adding to that is just for me personally, I felt like the lack of internal monologue for the audience was conveyed beautifully through the art and the images in in the comic. So for, for me, that got satisfied. And, and perhaps maybe that's why I don't have an issue with it. But just just adding that point. I would also maybe try to shift like shift the awareness of like how we're looking at this character, because I think Bintu, what I'm hearing on like a different 
you know, not talking about the personal qualities of Aya, but like, I feel like maybe fundamentally you didn't feel that her character was believable. And yes. that's what bothered you because you couldn't believe that there would be someone who would take on the worries of everyone in the town on their back maintain a sense of like rigorous personal integrity and also like be this modern woman but i but i but i i guess and and i guess the difference is is like i i do believe i've met people like that like i believe i've met people who are so it's almost like it's yeah it seems kind of incomprehensible how they can be so principled and so resilient but there are people like that I, and and maybe that's why i find her character to be believable because i've definitely i know i can like see their faces in my mind of people who are that who just have that in them and that's why i think i i do agree that in the second book which we won't get into too much it is kind <laughs> of it's almost cathartic as a reader to know that she's not like just this person who's made of platinum yes but at the same time i think that it's just whether or not you jive with Aya has to do with whether or not you think someone like that can exist. Yeah, well, it more so like the, but what you were saying is mostly what I'm saying, but it's more like, I believe that this person can exist, but I can't believe that this person exists and is not affected by it and me not see that they're affected by it. And that's why I said that I liked the second book better. And I and I totally get what you're saying. I'm not because I, I think we're we both we're seeing the same thing, but I think you enjoy it more than I do. <laughs> I, wow. I guess no, no, well, no. Or no. She it's could like, be you know, the it's, art differently though. Yeah, maybe. Right. It's just like and and I feel like that's why I mean I definitely liked a lot of parts of the first book and a lot of parts of the second book, and I think that aspect of her reaction to things in the second book i enjoyed more and also we can't ignore like her reaction to her father's infidelity because that's a moment yeah, of serious vulnerability yeah. and it's a moment where you see like her principles come up against reality yeah, yeah and i think that that was a moment in which we did get to see the armor like a chink in the armor if you will of like Aya, the invulnerable saint but i but, but you, you know what i mean because she's like she isn't able to deal with the fact that her. I I guess that, but I found that a very I found that very re I found that very interesting that moment because I find it very rebellious and I I I was so surprised by it because in that culture it is so rude to talk to your dad in that way whether or not he like cheated on someone like you can have those morals but to speak on it and to act in the way that she does with her dad is like so interesting to me and so I was more that was a moment also where I felt like. I felt like she was right in how she was feeling and how she responded to things. But like in 1970s Africa, I was just like, this seems a little odd to me. Like the fact that she would, I don't know that she would, I don't know. But I think at the same time, like it. that's the, that's like an example of what you're talking about of like someone dealing with these struggles. Like the way she dealt with her struggle is yeah, by you know what, having an out, is, is having an outburst. And, it, and I, yeah, I think you're right. That is probably out of the ordinary, but it's still like, yeah. you know, she's not, I, it would it would really like yeah anyway yeah sorry. no i find what <laughs> you're saying interesting because i didn't think of it in that way so. Amna, i know you wanted to respond before oh no i was just i wanted to say that i'm kind of wishing i read the second book now because oh. i oh. <laughs> i know me there's too. so many references to it i'm like darn it i should have read that i know i, think, I know right gabby i have to say i kind of like the second 
Okay, so other than Aya, who is obviously an amazing character, there's a lot to discuss about her. I have to say, like, I kind of I agree with uh, what Gabby was saying. I, I don't know. I, I see, I think we all have valid perspectives when it comes to that. And I think that that's something that's interesting about this particular graphic novel. But other than her, um, who are some of your favorite characters and why? I really love Bintu, and Ooh. I love how she. I, well, I love Bintu, and I love my Bintu, who's here with me. No, but I, I loved the character of Bintu because she was very, very funny, very self assured, and just like probably the most consistent character throughout the novel. Like she, you always know what she wants and what she's, you know, like what she's after, and she, and I love like her self assurance and like just seeing her seduce men it's just it just made for like really really entertaining reading and i also i really liked i know i'm unpopular in this but i really liked musa because i just thought he was so pathetic and hilarious and like you know under the heel of his you know magnate father and his attempts to try to like be cool or like to make an identity for himself i found really entertaining and i also really found herv or Hervé. He was my favorite. He was be, my favorite yeah, too. To be so endearing and sweet and good-hearted. And I just loved everything that he had. He was doing. I think for me, I really liked most of the women particularly. And the men I didn't find liking as much. I'm not really sure why that was. Probably because they did more overtly bad things that we just like can collectively agree on are bad things. But I know I really liked, I liked her friends. I his friends a lot, Ajua and... Uh, into i just thought they were wonderful to they were great like two friends that she could have that played off each other really well too in addition to aya and then i liked aya's mother fanta was her name right yeah. i really i really liked her a lot and i just because i felt like she was a good rock for aya when aya really and those few times when she felt like she needed someone to like kind of set her straight or to like a wall to kind of play off of as well i just felt like the women they were all very supportive of one another and not even coming from a feminist standpoint but just like because even though I agree with the feminist standpoint, I feel like it was from a, just a character standpoint, it was very nice to see these characters have such an intimate connection with one another from a first book. And from the first page, you understand this is a community of people and a community of women, which I feel like in a lot of senses you don't you don't get in books. And it's very clear in this book, the women are the forefront of the characters that we are meant to sympathize with and meant to really um, find endearing. But then the men, too. I mean, I really liked Hervé. I thought he was just like, like you said, he was wonderfully an endearing person. And you, I mean, you feel like you want him to do well and really get himself going. And then he does that. So I, I just, I really liked everyone, but particularly the women. Amna, how about you? I think, uh, I don't know if it's Hervé or Herb. I don't see an accent on the E, so I'm going to It is. There is an accent on the E. Oh, is there? Yeah. It's Hervé? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, see, again, I don't have the book in front of me. I'm looking at something digital, and it, they forgot the accent. Okay, anyway. I liked Hervé simply because I felt like he was the one character that showed the most growth. I mean, not, not just the fact that he was just really nice, hardworking guy, but of everyone, including Aya, he demonstrated the most growth from the time that he was introduced into the story until the very end. Yeah. For me, of course, I loved me some Bintu. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was great. I found her really interesting the way she knew how to work men. I really enjoyed also. I also 
when it came to the men, I enjoyed the conflict that they added to it. So Mm -hmm. I did enjoy Aya's dad and how he had an affair and how that worked out. I did enjoy Bintu's dad, Kofi, who was looking for a wife. In a young lady, I, I I enjoyed all of that that they they added to the story. I did not enjoy Musa. Oh, I felt no. as though that Musa, there, I just felt like because a part of me at first was like, I think he's unnecessary, and then a part of me felt like he could have been collapsed into somebody else's like family. But then I also think I I did like the fact I did like the fact that there was a family that was rich that was more than just the middle class. But I don't know for some reason in my head I was thinking like why couldn't that be a girl? But then I also think that you wouldn't have seen the storylines that Musa provided because it was important that he was a guy to show I don't know the different aspects of being a man in I don't know there was something I just didn't like Musa. And at first I thought he was disposable and now I don't necessarily think he's disposable, but I just didn't like him. I, just I felt say, oh. sorry. Oh, I felt guy. the same way. It's just like I just didn't really like his character very much. And I felt like he actually had like a regression in this book. And to really see his arc, you had to read the second book, which yeah. to me isn't very helpful to his character. It, like, see, like Amna's there. She's like, I haven't read it. Whereas like in this one, you really just see him revert and get worse. Like he just takes his parents' money and leaves. Like you okay you literally didn't solve any of your problems you just rejected them and then brought and so you didn't help your character at all really like i mean he was he fought back at his father but at the end of the day that what did that really accomplish nothing and he didn't grow at all over that and i feel like he still even when he was acting out against his dad at the very end that was very much about him still being upset that his dad doesn't care for him. It wasn't about rejecting that. It wasn't about rejecting the power his dad holds over him. It was just rejecting that his he feels like his dad doesn't love him, which to me are two very different things. And you end up with a character that at the end of the day, you're like, well, all these other characters have some sort of growth and then he doesn't. Alrighty, sorry. Been to ask the question. Yeah. No, I, I mean, if I can add to that, yes, please I, I add think to that it. You're you're absolutely right. There's he's in this constant infantile emotional state, and I mean, I I guess there is an explanation for it. He grew up wealthy, never really had to work, and then one day suddenly his father expected him to know how to be a responsible adult, having never instilled that in him. Not mm-hmm. to mention he has an overbearing mother who coddles him to the point where you kind of look at him like, all right, lady, cut the umbilical cord. But that is something that is common. I mean, again, yeah. in in a lot of developing countries, that's also a cultural norm. Sons are really revered and they're valued and, you know, they're, they're mama's boys. Oh. And that, that that is also very, Me. very much an accurate depiction of, I mean, I don't know about um, the Ivory Coast culture, but just definitely culture in developing countries. Yeah, I, I also feel like that exactly what you said was why I felt like it wasn't like he was a disposable character. I felt like it it was we needed to see that um the importance of a son you know all that stuff but then i feel like and i this usually doesn't that's why i guess i i didn't like his character but i i I did feel like he was necessary to this world yeah Yeah. so no one thought he was sympathetic at all oh i i mean i didn't i felt bad for him i felt bad for him i didn't think he was i just thought he was like i kind of relished in his character's incompetence (laughs) and i find that i just find that to be really entertaining so i mean i guess when i say i like a character it's not necessarily a character i'd want to be friends with it's just a character i enjoy reading and i found his like idiocy and lack of life skills to be hilarious and i think that shows that i'm a bad person but i accept that about myself 
I think more of what that shows is the basis of our friendship. Definitely. <laughs> okay, so it's interesting because we do talk about so many superhero comics and stuff like that on here, and they always have some pretty badass or, or pretty complex villains. Uh, and I wouldn't comp- definitely not categorize any of the antagonists in here as villains. I would say at times certain characters are antagonists. And, and for me, I really enjoyed, I keep forgetting his name, the boss character. Bon- Bonaventure. Yep. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, I loved him. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I, I, I sort of love to hate him. And, and of course, he's not like Aya or, or Bintu or um, Irve, who's one of my favorites, of course, who, like, you know, people might, uh, who, who have qualities that we really endear, that we find endearing. But who did you guys think were good antagonists when they were antagonists? Who was written well and who was successful? Mamadou? Yeah. I don't know if he's an antagonist. I think he's just an idiot that just adds to this recipe yeah but i think it's coming from a point where i just like i have trouble trying to decide who would be considered a quote-unquote antagonist in the traditional sense because i feel like he antagonizes by being a womanizer type of dude but then and at the same time like he's not like you said he just kind of screws things up so i mean like to me he would be the one but that's really the only one i could think of i mean personally uh... I don't necessarily know or agree that there is an antagonist in this situation. I think that we are, if we try to do that, we're trying to conform the story into very a very traditional formula for a narrative. I think that this is much more closer to real life and even somebody who is perceived to be an antagonist, there's, there's much more complexity there. So I'm not saying that everybody's good, but I'm also not saying that there's necessarily a bad person. There's just people who are trying to do the best in their situation. And there's others who just make really poor choices that are perhaps not ideal, um, especially given the perspective of, of an outsider. But I think that every character is definitely necessary in order to make the narrative as compelling as it, as it is. Oh, sorry. I, uh, before we go to you, Abby, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't disagree with you, Amna. I, I'm, I think I'm coming more from the perspective of like who making the most trouble for the characters is believable, is successful, and is interesting to you versus, you know, an- antagonistic in like the typical sense that like, oh, I'm a villain or something, you know? They're all kind of doing it to each other. I they guess. are, yeah, it, it, at it times, argue, right? You know, um, when you look at, a, a j- darn it, I cannot pronounce her name. Ajla? Um, no, I'm sorry, not her, uh, Bintu. Bintu, for example. I believe, I think Bintu, you were the one who was saying that you enjoyed watching, or no, I'm sorry, it might've been Gabby, who was saying that you enjoyed watching her just run game on men and, you know, the way that she handled men. But then she ended up getting, not, I don't want to say owned by a man, but Played. what she was doing to other people, she, and, and the story ended with her having been done that to her by someone else as well. So I feel like everybody's kind of weaving their own, they're kind of digging their own graves in a way, you know, all, all the choices that are made. And I think just watching all of this unfold was was definitely cool. But I I, I, I don't know if that if there's one person more than the other who I would say is an antagonist. I think in some ways they're all kind of equally antagonistic um, within the larger narrative. I wouldn't disagree with that. Uh, Gabby, yeah, do you want to go first? Number two? I guess they're characters that behave in a more dominating kind of role. And so out of that, they become a bit more antagonistic so ignance like he i feel like is quite antagonistic in terms of um how he relates to his wife like you know when obviously he's very guilty and has a guilty conscience and instead of coming clean about his second family he you know makes her you know he 
yells at Fanta and is like, oh, you're like blah, 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 blah. And so I feel like he was quite antagonistic, but he's but as we've all been saying, he's not an antagonist in like the classical sense of, you know, someone who's evil and trying to subjugate everyone. But then another character I felt like that was quite antagonistic was, was it Kofi? The one who wanted to, no, the person, the the guy who was trying to sell his daughter to Ajua's yeah. father, was yeah, it? It was Bintu's father. Bintu's, Bintu's father, father is Kofi. Co- okay, yeah. I didn't think Kofi was so antagonistic, but I did think that the father who was trying to sell Rita to Kofi was a bit antagonistic insofar as he was trying to subjugate others. And I think that the question brings up a interesting sort of social comment on like how the patri the how the patriarchy plays out in this society acts as in like an antagonistic force to mostly the women in the society and sometimes the men because obviously like the patriarchal pressures wreak havoc on Musa because he's not living up to a masculine ideal that his father you know as the heir to his father's fortune and his business so i think like that would be another interesting thing to look at is like is maybe like like the 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 real antagonist in the story or in these multiple stories would be social social constructs or customs that have over that sort of impinge on people's lives in negative ways and i rita's that- dad is named fortune oh yes I also liked that name a lot. I really liked a lot of the names in this book in general. Like, I feel like, um, Bintu, you mentioned it earlier, just like how you said they're all like very common names. And now when people over here hear them, they're like, what a lovely name. Like, that was completely my experience reading this. I was just like, these are all such really nice names. Uh And not even because I haven't heard them, but just like, I like the sound of them. Like, Fortune, it's like, it has a very nice sound to it, you know? Yeah. Completely going off track. <laughs> I would say, well, well, I know Gabby has a segment on gender dynamics that she's going to host for us, which is wonderful. But I also forgot to mention the couple, the the gay couple, the Michael Jackson and Albert. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I forgot yeah. his name. I wanted Eno? to talk about that. You know, you know, I was going to say Issa. Innocent. Innocent. Yes. Oh. Yes. And you would abbreviate to Eno. Yes. Yes. Oh. yes. Innocent. Yeah. Yeah. Love them. And uh, <laughs> just wanted to give them a shout out. But also, um, I just thought, you know, Gabby, you were, that was kind of a perfect segue into gender dynamics. But gender dynamics. So I thought you'd uh, take it over from there. Right. So I guess we were talking about earlier in the podcast, our preconceived notions of certain aspects of African culture. And yeah, I, I want to acknowledge African culture. It's a bad thing to say. But, uh, you know, anyway. So I think one of the preconceived notions that I was going into reading this book and when I read a lot of texts about African cultures is like the gender dynamics and the and the way men enforce power on women and sort of how that plays out in society. And so I guess my first question would be, do we feel that the portrayal of gender dynamics in this book is a nuanced portrayal? And did it at all contradict or support previous notions you had about what the gender relationships would be like in this particular culture i think that it definitely supported what i thought it was going to be like and i think it definitely i mean i wasn't around in the 70s in africa but it it definitely and i think seeing how 
male and female interact in this book was also one of the reasons why it was hard for me to grapple with if it was the 70s or not the 70s because this this just seemed so true to form how men cheat on their wives and in in the way that they do because like also being African, it, it's definitely a thing that I've seen in my community where men will go back to Africa and have complete families and come back to America and have a complete family in America. And like, you know, people like the, the various families might not know about each other. They might know about each other. It's it's a very like it, it's a prevalent thing that I, I know I've seen in my experience. And so seeing that here, I I really enjoyed that. And then also seeing Rita almost get married off to Kofi. I, I really enjoyed that too. I was just like, you know, that happens a lot where young women are married off to older men. It usually happens. It happens a lot more in my experience where it's like a, a village girl is married to an older man that lives in the city because he can provide her with a better life. But yeah, it was just like all that was just like really interesting to me. And I felt like it did support an ex- experiences that I've had. Yeah, so... Did you find that it was nuanced in the in its interpretation of it? Because like, I mean, because you said it supported what you expected to see. But did you find those to be like nuanced interpretations? I'm speaking it because like, obviously, I have very little um, knowledge of what that culture would be like. I mean, I personally thought it was interesting and nuanced. But again, without having the context to talk about it from without so without having the context yeah. to speak of it personally I, think, I was wondering did you find it to be nuanced yeah i mean because of the fact that you don't see a lot of texts like this that address this and mm-hmm. in the way that it does i i don't think it was it was necessary for it to be different than you know i didn't i didn't i i don't think it i didn't need it to be different than the experiences that i've seen it or you know like what have you i like the fact that it was it was similar to the experience that i've seen would you say it was satirical at all or or I think it was satirical and right. I definitely think she was trying to convey the message that this sucks. Right. And I agree that it freaking sucks. So I like that. I, I was going to say that, you know, I think I grew up in the culture I grew up in sort of cheating on your wife was like very much, you know, it's like if you weren't doing it, it was, you know, you were looked at as being less masculine in a lot really? of ways. And I think that that was something that I really connected to when I was reading it too. I think, there was that proverb, and I think we're going to talk about some of the amazing proverbs in here that, like, um, I forget, men are, like, whatever. Men are, like, hospitals. They'll put anything in their sheets or something like that. Oh, that was good. Yeah, and it's, like, it's... It will it's, take anyone in their sheets. Right, that was it, yeah. And I don't know, I I, um, I was, like, kind of. Especially, <laughs> especially the guys in this book, yeah. And then, I guess, going along this line of, like, gender relations in the book, one one, one really palpable sort of thematic, like thing in the book is sort of are like sexual relationships and you know we have the a thousand star hotel where all of the young people and and others go to meet up and be able to like canoodle to their heart's desire under you know without the scrutiny of um of the society but i was but i thought that like sex played a really big part in the book and like how people relate to sex what people think about it and i was wondering like what you what you guys thought about how it was presented in the book definitely prevalent you know i think with almost everybody whether it was you know i have rejecting it but or others accepting it and partaking but it was it was a common theme throughout the entire narrative i thought I thought it was interesting how we could compare the sex 
um, relations with the younger uh, characters versus the older ones because you never really saw the adults really or I mean never the married adults I should say the parents engaging in any sort of sexual relationship with one another it was very much like they were heads of household and that was about it they had children but then you see we get very intimate with Adua and Momodu uh, what was his name Momodu Mamadou, yeah yeah, we and well, most of her guys too. Um, Gregoire also. Like we see multiple, we see very intimate situations with her, and and obviously with Bintu also. But just like the whole, I just thought it was very interesting seeing the table situation where they would sneak out at night and yeah. lay on the tables to hook up with one another, and where we see all these things that are going on in secrecy. But then the adults themselves really aren't doing it even the cheating we don't even see that happening we just know what happens really you know the marquee situation and like at night and people going to have sex in the mark that was the one thing that i was just like this is something i don't know or i've never i've never heard of this or i don't understand this or like because i don't know there was something about it that i was just like i i guess maybe also i wasn't able to picture it maybe you guys can fill me in so like was it that there were just like tables out and people people were just having sex among each other uh, i like i it was hard for me to to picture what was going on i think yeah it, it's like make out point right a bunch of cars parked around and you okay. just do your thing in your own space okay and yeah. so at least my understanding of it was there's you know tables that are spaced out to you know a certain amount of space between mm -hmm. each one and each table is occupied by a couple okay that's so, how i saw it too it was like here. weird to picture it but that's how i pictured yeah. it so like an it, open air it, orgy it, it, yeah <laughs> okay so then my understanding was that they were having sex out there but if there was a gay couple hooking up there like they couldn't have possibly been penetrating right well, they, well, yeah, well that's can, why they did hence, it in the house the, Hence the wig. And I mean, think about it. You bend somebody over, you can't really tell if it's a guy or a girl. And that's why they went in the house later. Remember, that's when they got, what was her name? The, 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 the not, maternal the not sister. Intern. Maid? Yeah. Oh, Maid? I see. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah. Facility. Yeah. Facil like when she yeah. caught them, though, they were like in the house in private. Okay. Going over that okay. And, and doing that business. I was like, I was yeah. like, okay, they're clearly not doing anything like you said, penetrative there. Okay. Maybe they're doing. Maybe they're doing something a little further than what would be obviously acceptable, okay. like what um, Amna's saying. But I really doubt they're doing anything penetrative there, especially because it it's not easy to do in public <laughs> let alone anywhere so i feel like it takes since it takes time for that to happen it would they need that house situation yeah. for it to work but i guess uh, speaking about the gay thing i think it was i'm torn on them representing it in the first place because on one hand i like that they showed this different side of the masculinity and guys dealing with it there but on the other end it felt a little bit tacked on if that makes sense like it didn't really feel like it added to the plot per se but it felt like it was important in it of itself yeah I'm, i agree with that. nothing really came of it right yeah i totally agree too yeah, it was almost just used as a plot point, you know, like, who's the mystery girl? Oh, wait, it's not a girl. It's innocent. You, you know, know? But it also who's propelled, that girl? It also propelled him to leave. I mean, it also propelled him to leave to go to Paris, which I think was important. Right. And, right? Important. It becomes important in the second book. <laughs> Guys, take home of this. Read the second book. <laughs> But then I, I, I have a podcast could, could you about replace in the that with, with some other like some other thing in the plot. Does it have to be yeah. 
a relationship with a man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I guess that's my, I, I don't mind that that was there. I just, I minded, I guess if I minded at all, I just was like, huh, this could have been developed more. It just kind of got thrown in. Yeah. Nothing came of it. And then before you know it, it was over. Yeah, I agree. Like, there was no depth. Yeah. I agree too, but uh, with everybody, but I, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm glad it was there and there was a certain sadness that Albert couldn't go with him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like to me, what was interesting was that the way I felt about it was that it was like, it felt that like in an isolated fashion, the story of the tragic story of these two guys that want to be together is interesting in and of itself. But then in the context of this bigger story, it like I'm um, just keep saying it doesn't really amount to anything. And so it just feels weird to be there. But you feel weird about it being there because it has importance to itself. And it's done in an interesting fashion to me, but not in and in, not interestingly in the context of the book. I just wanted to go back to a, a point. Tim, that you made earlier, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask, which was like how we see the the sexual relationships or the presentation of sexual relationships change across generations. And also just maybe more generally how gender dynamics are different across the generations, because I thought that that was a really, really interesting thing to look at. And the point that you brought up that the sexual lives of the parents are not really investigated i think it was really interesting i think that's true and there was one really interesting moment which is the moment where oh never mind that's in the second book never mind <laughs> let me let's let's go back let's go back okay so oh yeah so you mentioned that the uh, sexual lives of the older characters are not really explored and i and i wonder if we can maybe talk more about if you know the younger generation in this golden period are experiencing like maybe like a sexual revolution or if it's just a cultural sort of norm that the sex lives of young people will be more open because they're not in families than you know older people who have to maintain a you know a facade of respectability i would say i loved how sort of sassy bintu was about all the men she was dating and she's like oh i'll marry this guy if i don't like him doesn't mean i have to sleep with him i can sleep with all these other guys but then you know i was definitely bothered sort of i remember we talked about Mad Men before similarly and how when i was watching Mad Men, bad men about the misogyny and the cheating for it it triggered me personally and i would like to think that there was a sort of sexual revolution happening for the younger characters for the younger women and that it wouldn't be it would be different for them as time progressed and they got married. But I don't know. Now that I've had some time away from it, I kind of feel like it's, you know, it's just that they're looking at it differently and they're going to end up, they're going to force to have to end up, forced to be ending up in a similar situation. Even though Bintu has, you know, seems to have the status, uh, the higher status in her relationships in the beginning, you know, that sort of all falls away with, you know, the men and their you know, getting people pregnant and the cheating and, and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I mean, and then I disagree with you, so the, I was to add to it. So then I guess the last question I have in terms of gender <laughs> stuff is I was very interested in looking at the gender differences between how powered was enacted in society. Especially when we get into the episode of Rita whether or not Rita is going to be sold or not sold, but married off to an older man, because we see the the matriarchs of the family coming into direct conflict with the male uh, leaders and they have to use like, you know, some sort of sly ways to try and 
make sure that this doesn't happen. And then they have outright arguments, which I thought was really interesting dynamic. So I was just, yeah. So I guess my question is, how did we interpret and um, react to looking at like how women enact their like enact agency in the society versus how men enact agency in the society? I kind of liked how. So I feel like definitely both sexes understood what realm they inhabited. And the way I mean, the way that they got out of that situation was that Bintu's mom said that she would leave if if Kofi married Rita. And that's kind of how it because she knew that she's the one who she does. She is the one who makes makes the money in their house. Kofi, I don't think, has a job. I think is what they said. But also she's the one who takes care of the house. It's like he, I guess, valued every aspect of what his wife does. But I I mean, he had went into the whole situation thinking that he had all the power because he's the man, because he has the say. And he definitely did. But if she didn't hold her piece of things, it would have felt it, it, like she wouldn't have had any leverage over him. So I, I, I that's kind of how I think both of their under both sexes understanding of the realm that they inhabit, I think really spoke to the power that they have. I think, again, you can put it into a generational thing. Like, I seem to notice that the older women were much more, they would hit back much more about gender things that they saw as problematic towards them, whereas with with their husbands, whereas I feel like you have these guys that are manipulating the girls in Yup City by sleeping around with them and going on the different tables and things like that. And the girls just kind of take it. They're like, no, he's not that bad. Or no, Aya, you're not, you're, you don't know what you don't know. He's actually a very nice person. He's from Paris and all these things like they don't want to believe that. And so they, I feel like almost it becomes a certain point in their maturity where they realize how the men are functioning through their power dynamic and how they are exerting their agency over the women. And then through their maturity, that's when they know that how they can exert their own agency to fight back against that. I don't I don't know if if it's like through their personally, I feel as though it's not through their maturity. I just think it's like the way that their culture works. I feel mm-hmm. like they understand how all of that stuff works and they know how men wield their power. And so they know what they have to do to wield their own power. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. When I mean maturity, I just mean like as they go along in life, like it's one of those things like that they once they reach that role, they're like, oh, now I'm here. Well, if I can add to that, I think something that's also worth examining and goes back to what Bintu just said about culture. Women are raised to aspire to one primary thing, and that is marriage. And so if you're trying to tie down a husband, the behavior of the women, I think, makes complete sense. Because that's Mm -hmm. your ultimate goal. Otherwise, you end up alone and possibly burdened with an unwanted pregnancy, which we see happen in this case. And once you are a young woman, unwed, and you have a child out of wedlock, the chances of you being able to be married off become significantly lower. At the same time, the men, at least, it, it doesn't seem to me, I see no evidence of this, that they are also taught or encouraged to aspire to marriage as well. In fact, I think somebody made a comment earlier about the fact that promiscuity and womanizing is encouraged with with men. And if yeah. you do not do that, your masculine points decrease. You you know you lose your man card, per, yeah. um, so to speak. So you have a society where you you have very defined gender roles, but they're also in direct conflict with each other as well. And I think that manifests in a lot of mistrust sneaking around that you see from from both genders as well. And so I think that 
looking at that was also something that was uh, that stood out to me a lot. Sorry, is what I'm trying to say. Something that I found very fun and, and great was the fact that, OK, so we're, we're talking about these people in their golden age and their country's golden age. And so this is a time where like westernization has already happened. So like and these people are in the, the, the middle class. And so women like even Aya's dad does not want her to go to college, but says that she can be a secretary like her mom. Her mom is a like these women. These women have jobs like Kofi's wife had a job. And that was also one of the reasons like that was a big reason why she was able to wield her power because she knew like if she did not have a job and she wasn't supporting Kofi, there would be no way that she could say Rita can't come into this house. And so I think that was very, that was nice. That was, that was interesting. That was fun that these women, yes, are, are definitely bred to marry. And the same thing that they, um, that men are not bred in the same way. Like, um, the three men, the three dads would go and hang out and drink together and talk about how they went out. They, they went out, um, the other day and drank and like had fun and danced. But these women also still have jobs, which I really enjoyed, which is, can I just mention, which is why I found it odd a little bit that Aya's dad didn't want her to go to college. Like her mom, I understand that her mom was a secretary and maybe you didn't need to go to college for that. But because of the fact that they were a middle class family, I don't know. There was something about it that I was like a little, I found it odd that he was like, I don't know, wanted to hold her back in that way. To me, there was, I thought the way I perceived it was that it was like they were still rising and sort of assuming themselves into that golden age. And so there's still some lingering residual thing effects of uh, traditional roles and how women maybe shouldn't be as educated as Aya wants to be. She wants to be a doctor. I, I mean, guess, that's yeah. pretty significant for a man or a woman. Yeah. And so I feel like there was almost like that's kind of like a shell shock to him almost. But then he starts hearing people like that are like, wow, your girl, she's great. Look at yeah. her. She's intelligent. Unlike Musa here. And so then I feel like then he starts to understand, oh, so it's more okay now. It's not, she doesn't have to just be a secretary. It's okay if she goes to school. That was the way I took it. But maybe it was just an inconsistency. Yeah, I literally, I think that he literally doesn't understand why a woman wanting to be a doctor would be a good thing or a tenable thing. And I think that that's why he's, he, he just, it's not even that he's like mad about it. It's just that it seems superfluous or it mm. just seems kind of like fantastical that she should want to do that. That's how I interpreted it. We've talked a lot about the historical context of the book because it's a really, it's, it's almost another character. Like this, bur this city that's, you know, brimming with opportunity and life and, and prosperity, but sort of the it's not really a shadow because we talked about earlier that the characters are kind of okay with their more cosmopolitan society as as created by the french influence and the influence of uh of, of the, the colonial influence but i was wondering if maybe we could talk about this colonial aspect or like you know the how the book deals with the cultures coming into its own or trying to find its own sort of mode outside of the colonial um, structure. And and one thing and one way that I thought that it was really interestingly portrayed in the book was with the characters and like the denizens of Yopagon, how they look at Paris and like, you know, people simultaneously like really want to go to Paris and make their fortune. But then we also see all of these people coming back sort of disheartened and like beaten down by like their trip to Paris. So I was wondering what we thought about how these characters interact with 
the French influence? I took it as a sort of like it was a like you said, it's complicated where I feel like all at once they sort of idealize the French above their own culture in a certain way. Like they view it as very far removed from it, like sort of like a, for lack of a better word, viewing it in a sort of like cultural hierarchy where they have theirs that they're very familiar with. And then they have the French one, which they've had like some brushes with and they know it and they're familiar with it, but not in the same way. It's something that they're still, it's still very unattainable, which stems from colonialism and racism and the fact that they are, they really were second and second secondary to the French influence. And so I feel like they view it in a way of like they that's where they want to be at the idealized goals to be French, to be Parisian, to have luxury and, and to be elite. But then then when they come back, it's like that they get that dream is swiped at them just like it is with colonialism. They realize that, no, they're really they can't be Parisian. They can't be French. They can't be this elite person there in the same way that they're idealizing it. It's sort of like their dream is interacting with the reality of what inter of what these conflicting cultures actually means. And I almost wish we were talking about the second book, because I feel like when you see it through Eno's eyes, you really understand what's functioning there. But even in this book, you get an idea. Rita's coming back and everyone's like, wait, you're back. And then Gregoire's back and he has nothing. I mean, these all these people keep coming back and they're completely torn people because they're realizing now that they aren't going to be that they can't be French because they're they're not they're African they're from the Ivory Coast they're from a whole different continent which to them and because it's still the 70s so travel's still not that easy it's going to be it's like almost like a whole different world I think I there was also a part of me that there were people who definitely were pressed to go to France and go to Paris but I there was a part of me that also felt like there were some people who were cool with just being in Ivory Coast, which mm-hmm. I enjoyed, which I liked. Because um, when Eno yeah. had went up, went to Aya and had talked to her about, he's like, we can go together. Like we would, we would excel there. And I think, and, and I think he, the way he felt about that and telling Aya that I think harkens to what we're talking about, that she's like this like ideal woman and she's like a f- more forward thinker. You know, she's not, she's, I think that he thinks the same way that we think about her, but I, she seemed like she was just like, what would I do there? I found that very interesting. I kind of really liked that. Or, I mean, Ajua is strapped with a with a child, but she was like, I'm going to make a marquee right here. So I kind of liked that, that there were people who were cool with being in Ivory Coast also. I agree. Yeah, I liked it too. But, you know, I also, I guess for me, couldn't get over the relationship that France and uh, plays in this story and America does in so many other stories. It's like the land of opportunity and stuff. And for me, and I, I realize what I'm about to say is like really subjective. And we talked a little bit about this before, but I guess the fact that there was so much like French and colonial influence in it and that the sort of culture had to be born from this like post-colonial times I, I don't know that was sad to me and i see and i recognize that as being like super subjective because it just goes to that whole thing we were talking about before like yes colonialism is bad but i guess i, w- I was struck by that so i felt that w- was something i wanted to get across i think the people who were trying to go to f- were trying to go to france were people who were having difficult times in yop city whereas like aya was not having it, uh, sorry rita her dad was ready to marry her off because he was too much. She was too much of a financial burden to his family. And so that's why she wanted to go. And when she came back and she wasn't able to be a success in terms of making money, that 
really that made him want to sell her off Eno went there because there was he knew that there was not any type of tolerance or acceptance for who he was um so that's why he went there i like yes like going to the 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 call like the colonizer's land yes it's this idea that like oh it's a it'll be a better place but there were people who were who did not have issues in what am I trying to say? There were people who did not have issues in the Ivory Coast and thus felt no need to go to France. Whereas France is this place where it was, it, it's for, like for them, it was like a, a hopeful place for the disenfranchised, I guess. Totally. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. And just to add to that, it seemed like France was more of a pull for the younger generation than it was for the older generation. Yeah. That, that's a great Which you could say is even indicative of this new emerging middle class, you know, like these are people that are coming into themselves, whereas I feel like the parents probably weren't coming in as this middle class was booming They're They kind of while they were alive, it was booming, whereas these kids, they've known this boom. So they have these aspirations, these dreams. So like you're saying, where it's with the younger generation, we're seeing it with them because they have these aspirations of being more and they're and those aspirations are being validated in some senses. I mean, if you can open your own business after having a child out of wedlock, if you can become a car mechanic just on a whim and start actually being successful at it, and if you can want to be a doctor and go to school as a woman and not be told that you're crazy by everyone, maybe some people, but not everyone, that's that's like motivation to keep pushing, to keep wanting more and to want to be more. And I feel like Paris sort of is the symbol of that in this book. Totally. And then along with the like colonial influence, I think like there is a question of race. And obviously this is a like book that is about, you know, that is that's about African characters. We don't see anyone of a different race in the book, I think, except for Fanta's boss. I think he's the only white person that we see in the Hmm. book. But there's often reference made to like we're African. We don't do that. Like that's what white people do. And like this and that. And I was wondering, I thought that was kind of funny. And I was wondering what other people thought about that. You have to refresh my memory because again, I don't have the book in front of me, which we're, what exactly happens in the scene? Absolutely. So there's, I, I, I unfortunately do not remember exactly what happens, but I believe Ignas is like, he's angry about, He's when he has to move back to. Oh, wait. Oh, no, I I don't think so. Wait, what was I saying? No, actually, sorry. I think that's again in the second book, because I think I'm thinking of the moment. I'm so sorry. I think I'm. (laughs) I think I'm thinking of the moment where like he's the guy says that she committed suicide and he's like, we don't do that. We're African. But yeah, I remember that. Yeah, but I I think. But yeah, that's that's the second. So let's just forget my second question and move on. (laughs) I know there is another part in the first book where he says, like, we're black. We don't do that. But I don't remember yeah. what it was. So it's pointless. I, I did think it was kind of cool. There was, like, those certain moments of just, like, African pride, you know? And, like, totally. And I say African because, like, they're specifically identifying themselves as African, not really, like, Ivory Coast. But they're, like, saying, like, we're black. We're African. Like, there's pride in that. We're not white people. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm pretty sure it's either the first or the second where they're conflicting about the gay issue, and there's like, there's not, there's no black gays. What? That's yeah. not a thing. Maybe that isn't the first book. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But because I, I remember someone makes a comment, and I'm like, and I'm like, wow, that's actually really telling. Which to, is, to... which is still totally a thing. I, I like. Oh yeah. I really, I, I found that aspect 
true to form when it came to this this gay couple or this gay issue was that like it definitely happens where they don't think that um gay people exist and they think it's like a western thing they think it's a western thing that has developed and you're trying like oh that only happens with white people so i i don't know i really like that when they had mentioned that i was just like good job because that would definitely be a thought process yeah i mean remember when ahmadinejad came to columbia actually and he said that homosexuals were a problem for america and not iran so mm. i could definitely see that so we're just doing art and then conclusion and then tim hasn't listened to me at all he's he's tindering right now not tindering no. texting he's post tinder yeah I'm sorry yes you looked at me like you're like, you're like, so like defensive. no what you were like your no. face looks so defensive <laughs> i think it's purposefully meant to be comical because yeah. of just how exaggerated the baby is like the face yeah, exactly. like look at that eyes uh, just so big and the mouth just like yeah yeah i loved it and i should say for those just listening that we are talking about the art which was completely amazing and uh by the ex-husband of the author i'm never going to be able to pronounce it clement Uberi. who knows that was the best i could do i'm so sorry france i wish that your language was the dominant language of commerce in the world but unfortunately the english one and i'm puerto rican and it doesn't really matter anyway but anyway <laughs> we're talking about this baby and he's really really cute on page what um the baby is on page 111 there's something cool about that too so uh before we talk about specific pages in the book i'm not, i thought you had some really 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 interesting things to say about the art especially about the color and i feel like you sort of out of uh the four of us here or the five of us have the best i don't know you seem to get the art more than the rest of us did so i would love to hear you talk about that i think that it just helped paint a complete picture not to like but i'm <laughs> <laughs> i think that the use of vibrant color was also very true to what we what is usually associated with African culture, you know, just vibrant color in the clothing and accessories. And I think that that was utilized very cleverly in the art. I also felt that in the absence of certain dialogue, body, the way that the characters were drawn, body language, and the way that certain things were accentuated really helped set the tone for a particular scene. I felt a lot of emotion was also conveyed. A lot of things that were unsaid were definitely evident through the way that color was was used throughout the entire uh, comic book. I also liked the the differentiation. I think there were a couple of flashback scenes, if I don't remember, but I liked how they just went completely monotone to give the the viewer or the reader the indication that, OK, this is something that is we're looking at in the past and then it brings us back to the present. But I, if you look at the, the way that the characters are drawn, for example, it pays specifically attention to their their body language, like the, the way that certain characters lean or the way that they walk, I, I thought was really uh, very detailed. Like somebody was really paying a lot of attention to that and, and working in conjunction with the with the um, the narrative, like the, the written piece of it to make it come to life as much as possible. Tim, do you have I the thought, book there? Oh, actually I did. I really liked the way the eyes were done in particular. I thought the <laughs> eyes were incredibly expressive, even though they seem very simplistic in their design. Yeah. Like most of them are very, yeah, they're very, they seem very one dimensional. Like they're, they're really drawn one shape and it's a very exact shape and they kind of maintain much of that shape. Then you can really see different emotions expressed in different panels. Like in certain, like when Aya's confronting her father about his affair, he, there's a lot of severity and passion behind her gaze there. It's fixed and it's it's there's a lot of fury there and you can really feel it. And it's 
almost disconcerting and you're kind of you don't know like you feel uncomfortable looking at that because there's just a very good display of emotion there and i feel like the they it's weird to say because usually you chalk this up to something of a very detailed drawing of which these don't seem to be overloaded with the details but they take such care to address the small fine nuances of getting each individual simplistic quote-unquote pose right and each panel framed correctly that you really are able to get the most out of the scene without really having to have a background that's given to you by details which i think can be muddled in a cultural context and so this book then to me becomes a book that is that um, you can read from any culture and have some semblance of an understanding of what's going on because in a lot of art you get things things can get confused with different styles but this is it's very bare bones it's very like this is what it is and <laughs> you there's no you can't really confuse what these drawings are indicating I completely agree I feel like I, I agree where like at first you look at it and it looks very simplistic because as you said, the eyes is just like a circle with a dot inside. But I feel like definitely every panel shows some type of expression. You know exactly what they're feeling and what they're like in its connection to what they're saying. And something that I found really fun was when I actually when I was looking at these drawings, it reminded me of the drawings that I would see like on billboards in Africa. Like these drawings seemed like drawings that i saw in africa which was nice That's cool. so then to see it look to see illustrations of it in a comic book and to see some type of semblance of movement or to see some type of semblance of, of, of emotion was very nice i have to say yeah. hearing you say that because i wasn't aware of that brings me back to again i mentioned it earlier gene luen yang's podcast american born chinese where he used a lot of art from that was influenced from chinese art to sort of do a similar thing to what this book is doing which is you know being a window into this culture introducing people who might not being who might not be aware of it into this culture and i think that that's i think that that's really cool i did kind of want to open up to, tim you have the book in front of you no i was um just kind of listening to you because sometimes if i'm looking at your facial expressions it's hard to like you know like you just kind of like look off you're like okay oh yeah no i was yeah. just like I was listening. I, I left my book at home. Oh, no, it's okay. I think there's a there's a more of a lag between me and you and me and Amna. Oh. Yeah. So, but we're, we're totally cool. So the page that we're looking at is 146. Let's see it. Just tell me what's going on. I'll probably remember it. So it's been to you walking to the hotel where Gregory is. Okay, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and I, Amna, you talked about the color a lot. And something for me that was really, I don't know, prevalent was the the weather how the weather was depicted and you know i only took like one or two art history classes so i i know that it of course goes into abstract expressionism you disagree been to no i don't i i, I wouldn't know oh i thought you were looking you were like i thought you were telling me like no it's romanticism i was <laughs> no. like no. <laughs> i can i can fake it at a cocktail party oh, talking about um art history? art history but if somebody else knows about art history i can't fake it all right well i can definitely say that this is abstract expressionism got it yeah <laughs> um like, because um of the way that the colors are depicting the emotion especially on this page the weather and i guess i wanted to talk about or, or just take note of how tall the hotel was been to being dressed up and the sort of path there and I thought it was a cool panel because it's sort of a cool page, actually, because it helped me. It helped set the mood for what was going to come next, I think. I think it also set the mood for the time of day, which with Omna 
in conjunction to what you were saying about the color and how it depicts like like when you go back in time like how the color expresses time so like one thing that you so an example of what you were saying was when we went back to Aya's um dad and mom being younger it it is monochrome and it's like dark dark blue because they're they're at a club and they meet each other at a club which was which was really interesting and you see them in their youth but when it comes to this panel that Justin you were talking about like two pages later you see Bintu and Gregory outside and the it's a sunset and you can tell you can totally tell like there the panel beforehand shows the sun setting but when you see it when you just are on them the color that shows it's pink and orange it's it's very beautiful so from your panel to the one that I'm talking about on 147 it's just a nice transition because you can tell that that is all happening it's a really beautiful progression of yeah. colors. Yes. That, it, it's like a narrative yeah. uh, told just by color, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. I also really like the use of black in this book, like when it is actually used as a color. Because some even at the, even in the nighttime covert um, sleeping on the table things, that's kind of like an inky blues. But then when you see Innocent and um, what was the brother's name? Albert. Oh, Al- thank you. Yeah. Albert and, and, you know, like getting it on together. It's black in there. They're concealing this. This yeah. is not something that there, there's not even the modicum of them being in public in this case. Like at least on the on the tables, there's a slight element of they're in public because it's like it's slightly blue. There's a bluishness to it. There's other people. There's it's like intimate, romantic and private, but not completely. This is something that's completely shamed and something that you definitely don't express in public. And I thought that was really interesting to see because they didn't use black very often. They used it very right. sparingly in this yeah. book. But when they used it, it was used to really good effect. Yeah. Like um, right now we're looking at page 335 and Mm -hmm. it's the scene where Musa is going to go steal the money from his parents. And so all you see is like just like a scene of outside. You see the moon, which is a little light, a little yellow. But then you see just one window lit and it's just really yeah. nice. It's just like a small little square. And then the next page you see him sneaking down. And so you're totally right. It's like exactly that. It's the way that they use the dark and the points that they use is very nice. It is. I think it's interesting too how the way they use color to sort of differentiate between the parts of society that are open and the parts that are really hidden. Mm. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of got that from it, too. And it's interesting the pages just turned to you, too, with the red. I don't know. Color was so important to this book. Yeah. You know, if you look at comics like Walking Dead, like Mouse, which is black and white. Yeah. It's Persepolis, I'm almost sure, is black and white. I think it is, yeah. Yeah. It's just really fascinating to see the way color is used. And I think, Amna, you were on something about, or was it Vinti, who was on something about the color and the cultural context here. Yeah, and the patterns even, also for their clothes. Yeah. And how they don't just wear the same clothes every day. You know, so, like... The fact that this illustrator like implemented different patterns for every day that passes was really fun. Amna, was there like a particular page or panel that sticks out in your head? I know you don't have it in front of you, but not off the top of my head, no, unfortunately. I just I remember it just being a consistent thing throughout right. the book as I was when I was reading it, and I, I just remember going, "Wow, the, the use of color here." is really cool. Even on the pages where it's completely monochromatic, there's still the artist still finds a way to evoke emotion, set a mood, yeah. which I think which I thought was really cool. I was a big fan of the the way that they used 
color to like kind of pace the story almost like you would see like it would go from day to night and then you would get up the next day be super bright the sky would be bright blue and you would really see a day's progression which would obviously be indicated by color right but you got a sort of like all these generally bad things happened at night in this book or things that were bad socially or things like that but then the morning it was like everything was renewed your clean slate is almost very episodic in that sense. And I thought yeah. it was kind of cool the way it played like that. That's an interesting perspective on it. It's true. It's funny because this type of graphic novel is called, it has a specific term in, in French. It's like a, it, basically it's like a limited series of graphic novels versus what I guess Tim and I would come across at Comics First more as like a, you know, limited series of single issue comics. Um, I believe mm-hmm. it's six volumes and that each book is three. Oh, and that's how it was originally released it's funny because i remember on when we bought it for each other for christmas i was like oh no i can only get two books and they're supposed to be six yes i thought that too i I googled it and i felt the same way yeah and that's why these have like different titles because they're like you know i I, i'm pretty sure they're packaged for an american audience versus a french audience european audience i should say because the way they treat comics in europe is so different and also i would just say the husband and wife have had to I mean, you could, well, let me just say this. So you can tell from looking at the art that the artist and writer completely understood what they were doing and worked in an amazing collaboration to get across the emotions and, and the narrative and the way they wanted to get it across. I think it was super successful. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I would love to ask Gabby if she saw elements of that in, in the movie that was made from, based off of this, uh, this graphic novel as well. You saw a little bit of it too, didn't you? I saw a little bit of it. It looked exactly the same. It looks That's exactly cool. the same. Yeah. Of course, they weren't thought bubbles because they just had voices. For that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the illustration, it just literally looked like they took took what was here and animated it. That's cool. cool. I love when they do that with with animated features. I think that's such a good thing because you keep the integrity of the art that's there in the first place because it's like there's a reason they used that art. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, yeah, you could put you could very arrogantly put your own art form over this. But like there's a very specific reason that they put it there. It's not like they arbitrarily picked an artist they thought they liked and they just put him on a book like, no, there was thought behind it. And these two people clearly knew and had a very good collaborative relationship to write this book and i feel like if you did anything else illustration wise it would do an injustice to the book yeah makes sense yeah. Mm-hmm. sorry i just want to find the name i feel like if i don't give some lip service to what the uh okay i can't i wish i'm not i wish i could send it to you because it's definitely in french <laughs> the word is like i can only pronounce it in spanish i guess the word it well bande destiné that that looks like it band yeah i think it's band how does it how is it spelled b-a-n-d-e and then the okay. next word is d-e-s-s-i-n and then an e with the accent that Des- and then an e at the end of that Wait, was there an n in the second word i'm sorry Could yeah you spell d-e-s-s-i-n-e and then e so destiny Destiny. yeah like that's in you. That sounds um, I, might, I might be mispronouncing that. It'd but. be, but def- the first one would definitely be banned. Yes, or not, because you not with that accent. Yeah. Here it just says that they're. Com- oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I, would, I wish I knew French, man. 
But here it just, it, it's just... I'm like far from a French expert. Are you kidding me? No way. <laughs> You're the most like real ass French person we have here right now. Um, or French speaker <laughs> oh, at least. We're in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when I click on it in Wikipedia, it brings me just to Franco-Belgian comics, which is interesting. But my understanding is, and more so than my understanding, I'm definitely very aware that they have a very different publication schedule. And this says that Aya of... Yope City is a six bon dessinier albums written by Marguerite Abouet and drawn by uh, her husband. And it refers to them as albums, which I think is really interesting, versus mm. we would refer to them as issues yes. in uh, I mean, American like, comics and, you, and in British comics, too. Yeah, I mean, like something that threw me off when I used to watch British television shows was that they would call season series. series yeah. And I was like, what are we talking about? But yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but there was, there was originally six volumes of this. And, of course, they're from uh, Drawn and Quarterly, which is, like, uh, really amazing. I think it's time that we should talk about some of the best proverbs from this. This book had some of the, this series, actually, this series of albums, if you will, had some of the best proverbs I've ever heard in my life. Mm. And Gabby sent me her favorite, which is, if a man tries to fart like an elephant, his butt will explode. <laughs> that was so funny so i was curious if anybody else felt like there was an ivorian proverb that made you laugh honestly i can't remember any of them which is what's upsetting and i wish i had my book in front of me and i didn't leave it back in chicago Aww. but i did like them all i, I don't remember very much quite a bit. what were you saying amina sorry no, I was saying I, I did find myself chuckling quite a bit i think there was one where i don't know if it was bintu or might have been the other one i don't know somebody was telling someone to their mouth is bigger than a cow's behind or something like that i do remember that something like that yeah what was the one i liked before it was like men are like hospitals they'll take anyone between their sheets yes that was was one i do remember that was my favorite one actually because Mm -hmm. i was like dang that is a zinger like boom like she (laughs) snatched his weave with that one and i just loved it because it was like it was quick it was intense and it was on point and you wouldn't expect (laughs) someone to say it and then they said it and they went for it and i loved it (laughs) yeah it's like everything you want out of an insult but it also had some truth properness to it so it's like dang i found one one is like the wise man says ears can grow all they want they'll never grow past the head i don't know what that means but I, I don't know. I enjoyed them, too. We should analyze that. Well, let me give you Maybe. some context. Musa is, is it's page 176, and Musa is just chilling at the office. And his dad comes in, and he is roaring. And his dad's like, you're going with Gervais. He'll give you some work. Musa says, yes, boss. And then... Musa says, I mean, sorry, Musa's dad says, Gervais, I'm counting on you. Be firm. Like the wise man says, ears can grow all they want. They'll never grow past the head. I don't know. I still don't know what that means. Like, I took it as like, you can listen all you want, but you're oh, you're you're not going to get, they're not going to grow any more like past your own perceptions, you know? Like you can keep listening and blah, 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 blah. But like, you're still going to have your own preconceived notions there the whole time i forgot to mention that musa has also a a talk bubble and it's just a question mark so musa also (laughs) did not understand maybe maybe it was nonsense and i literally (laughs) i was just reaching just now and i was trying to find some meaning and there was just and it was it was satirical and actually meant nothing well you you probably made more of an effort than musa did apparently (laughs) i don't know what about you (laughs) yeah so I, I just quickly looked up something and it gave me a list of some of these proverbs. Page 17, 
that mouth of yours is bigger than a cow's behind. Yes. On on page 205, this is like looking for a machete in a myonic fi- or maniac field, not myonic, <laughs> maniac field. Page 218. I guess the sun can shine on anybody. Page oh. 250. <laughs> Men are like hospital beds. They'll take anyone under their sheets. Oh, love it. Page 276. A life is like a bench. If she shoves and you fall off, it's over. She'll take she'll just take your place. Yes. Oh, that's I like good. that one too. Yes. Yeah. Page 296. You don't know a bricklayer till you're up against the wall. Ooh. And then page 300. Yes. Well, Mother Nature isn't always the nicest person in the world. I love that one. Got it. Love it. Yeah, Tim, I kind of agree with you with the ear thing. I think it's saying, like, you know, you can hear, but you need to listen, you, you know? And it doesn't yeah. matter. It can go through, and if you're not thinking about it, it doesn't. And maybe the question mark was, like, him not getting it because he was still, like, you know, his ears didn't grow past his head. I'd say the question marks were used a few times in it, and I thought that was, that yeah. was pretty cool. Um, You guys, the only thing I feel like we didn't mention that I should pay a little bit of lip service to before we conclude is I want to talk about just for just – Pay some attention or pay some lip service, should I say again, to the relationships between parents and children, because I I thought the parents were kind of mean to the children. And I even thought, although it was kind of charming the way they spoke about their children and it could be interpreted that way, to me, it was kind of harsh. Mm -hmm. So I was curious if anyone had any any thoughts on that. I mean, I I feel like I experienced a lot of that growing up as well when, you know, my parents again a cultural thing yes you know they, they just beat you up beat you up beat you up emotionally but then i talk to other people and they say oh wow your your mother or your father speaks so fondly of you they they tell us all these wonderful things and i yeah. look at them like are we talking about the same person yeah <laughs> like so, um, i oh sorry finish no no just that, that was it i just oh, I, I was I, gonna say i have a bunch of friends from different backgrounds like i have thai friends indian vietnamese friends and i've noticed that with their parents they're very the parents are very severe towards them but it's not in a like we dislike you way it's just like they have such high standards for them kind of thing that they act that way towards them and it seems weird to i mean it wasn't necessarily weird to me because my parents are also kind of strict with me but it seemed i could see where it would seem weird to a lot of people because it's they're not a lot there's not a lot of like outward affection towards the children it's just a different way of expressing it been to continue yeah, I just I felt as though it, it, it's I was actually surprised in the way like I as I had mentioned before, the way that Aya talked back to her dad and like the fact that her dad didn't react more harshly to her. Like, I expected a slap. Um, I did, too. About to happen. Right. Because like that, that it's definitely a cultural thing where it's like children are seen not heard kind of thing it's like you know you you respect your parents you say yes yes ma'am yes sir all that type of stuff and like you expressing your opinion to your parents is just like what like i that felt like a different world to me the fact that she was able to also the fact that she was able to like her mom was very sympathetic to her i know this very much so in the second book but like her mom seemed like she they were friends that also was a little odd to me because there, like in this culture, there's definitely a separation between older people and younger people, and you're not really friends with your parents, really. So what I thought was weird was almost felt a little inconsistent. Like sometimes you would feel like they weren't friends with their parents, and then other times you were. And that's like I'm kind of glad we're not going into the second book because I feel like the second book is where more of these inconsistencies come up, where you where they since they're digging so much in other things, yeah. they kind of let some of these cultural constructs they built kind of fall by the wayside a little bit in terms of just trying to get the story told, which is fine. But I feel like this book executes it better if you're looking at it from a cultural standpoint. I, don't, I can't 
necessarily say that, but I felt that way based on what you're saying. Yeah, I just I felt as though Aya was a particular case, which maybe also harkens to like who she is and the, 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 the child that her parents raised her to be is that maybe they're a different family. Because yeah. um, Bintu wouldn't do it. Like, Bintu and Ajua were both afraid of their parents. You know, like, their, their parents, like, speak a lot more sternly to them. Aya's parents don't. And maybe that is the reason why she has a personality that she does. But in the same, mm-hmm. in the, in, in the same breath, that's why she also feels odd to me. That because yeah. her family is a little different. I see what you mean. Where, like, it seems like everything else seems so culturally aware and expressive of the culture that you're familiar with that to see something that's very not like that is just kind of weird so it makes her seem like almost unreal like you said i could see that yeah i think before we wrap up i would just love to hear starting with bintu then we'll do amna tim and myself what was your favorite aspect of this graphic novel series or album series and or what was your favorite part in the story I think my favorite part was like the first thing that I was like, this is great, was the part where Bintu and Ajua were at the club and you see Bintu dancing with a guy and you realize and she's calling him Tauntaun. And as I said, like you, a guy that you're familiar with who's older, you'll call him Tauntaun. So like I didn't think I didn't, I didn't think that she was maybe too familiar with him. I just thought that she was saying a term of endearment. And then you realize and then her dad comes up behind her because he was dancing at the club, too. And you realize that she was dancing with Ajua's dad. And I really like that. I thought it was funny. I thought that was like such the that I felt like that was such the culture, especially from my experience of these like old guys, like hanging out with these young girls to try to snatch them. And I mean, at the end of the day, when when Bintu was talking to Ajua about it, like and Aya had brought up, she was like, oh, yeah, it's like not a big deal. She's like, oh, how do you feel about Ajua dancing with your dad? I'm sorry, Bintu dancing with your dad. She's like, well, that's what they do. And like the fact that like that is a thing that people understand that happens. I kind of really like that but i like that scene in particular i was like oh shit is she dancing with her friend's dad yes she is and then her dad got mad but at the same time he was dancing with a young girl that is probably one of his friends' daughters too i really i enjoyed that scene mm-hmm. yeah i think for me i i found the the entire story really enjoyable just it, every little detail about it but i think my my most favorite thing about experiencing this as a reader is truly the marriage between the narrative and the visuals in in this piece that was my absolute favorite i felt like it just really helped form a complete picture for someone who did not grow up in the ivory coast like how do you relate to this how do you understand this i mean yes there's some cultural similarities at least for me personally but to really get a complete picture uh, about what it was the author and the artist were trying to convey. It just helped put everything else in context for me. So I, I would say for me, it was that. For me, because I really liked the book, but it was one of those things where I could never really go back and pick one particular thing that I liked because I really feel like when I was reading it, I it's, it'd be hard for me to articulate what it is that I liked about it because I was telling Amna earlier, it all felt very mundane in a certain sense because it was doing such a good job of just being realistic about what was going on. There wasn't any pomp and circumstance about what they were doing in terms of how they presented it to us. And so at the end of the day, it felt very 
intimate and very domestic. But at the but on that same note, when I finished it, I felt like you really had a great sense of this community. They did such a great job establishing this community and how they all relate to each other. Because there's a lot of characters in this story, but you wouldn't guess it based on just how well that th- they all balance out. Because when you look at the family tree, it's like, oh, wow, that's a lot. Like, this is this person's uncle and this person's friend. You're like, okay, that's I'm going to have a very hard time dealing with this, especially given the art of it. But no, they do such a good job characterizing everyone and how they speak and how they move and how they stand in panels and what panels they appear in. And then at the end, so when you finish it, you're like, you really feel like you have gone on a journey with these people and you've been in part of their lives in this community. And I think that was the part that I liked the most is that it felt very inclusive while also representing its culture very honestly and unabashedly i have to say i agree with you tim in that so many elements worked so harmoniously to create and Amna, you were saying this too worked so harmoniously to create such a a great experience and i'm so glad this isn't just a movie i'm so glad this isn't just this wasn't a piece of literature without any images like they really worked perfectly together and to create a great comic and great graphic novel which is why we're all here and 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 i really love that and i also love that the story itself was almost genreless. I sort of realized it before, Bintu, when you were talking about it, is and, and Tim was asking you, it's satirical at times, but it's nuanced. Mm-hmm. It is a romantic comedy at times, but then it's in the backdrop of, you know, this colonialism that we were talking about, which, which of course I don't like. And it's also hopeful in a lot of senses. And then there's the aspect of people coming back from Paris and you know, having not made it there and stuff like that. And I, and that's something that made really made me enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Anybody have any final thoughts? Um, this was, yeah, I was going to say, I'm glad this was a wonderful book to read. And I had a really, I'm really glad it was, uh, you assigned it to us because otherwise I probably wouldn't have found it just given that it, you we had to, find it physically instead of digitally which means it's probably very limited in its production so i appreciate that i was given the opportunity to read something like this because it was a very different book than i'm used to reading in terms of comic books or just books in general it just presented a very nice perspective on things of in a very different culture from our own and i appreciated that i'll say you have to thank amna because she's the one who told me about it thanks girl You're welcome, guys. I'm, I'm happy that this discussion ended up coming from it and that Justin was even willing to do an entire episode on it. I mean, I just gave it to him because I thought he would enjoy it. But then he called me and said he was doing a segment on it and invited me to join the panel. And that was really cool. I've been looking forward to this since he told me. And Amna, you did really wonderful. This is like, in, in a way, it's like your first comics comic. It's like, it's your first podcast with like Comics vs. 3.0 or whatever we are. So yeah. Um, yeah. How did Not you this how, tiny, tiny little thing anymore? <laughs> right. How did you find the experience so far? Oh, so pleasurable. I think it's always nice to engage in this type of dialogue with multiple perspectives, and especially when your own viewpoint is challenged or there's more context added. Like I, I found Bintu's commentary to be insightful personally, so I, I enjoyed that. Hopefully we get to meet one day in person, Bintu. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Me too. Yeah, Amna, you better come back to New York soon. We miss you. Oh, absolutely. I will. I will. In in due time. Jose has all of his stuff still in New York, so once he's done you know, playing Army, then we can, right. we can come back. Awesome. And you guys can stay in my apartment in my office slash guest bedroom. Yes, we're excited about that. I told him you were moving back to Riverdale, and he was like, oh, cool. Awesome. Awesome, right? I know, because if you guys stay at the Arbor. Back to where it all started. Right? 
Oh my gosh, that's so true. Yeah, Ben, I'd say thank you so much for doing this. I, you and I have thank never been you. on a podcast together. You're I, right. I'm so glad you did this. I'm so glad I did it too. I so I was so happy I got to read something that was so close to my culture. Yeah, cause mm-hmm. I I rarely do. I wish that I knew more comics like this because as Tim will tell you, I can help you read something close to my culture, which is the Dark Phoenix Saga, in which Jigre um, <laughs> is possessed by a cosmic Very entity. True. And uh, eats and he a will planet. harp on you until you finish it. Yeah, uh. I will. I do. I harp on Tim all the time because Tim is like a budding X Men fan, and I have to make it happen. Mm. You know? But then I'm like, Tim. oh, hmm? Tim, I f- your commentary was also great too. I I enjoyed speaking with you about this. I thought you you made some great points today. Thank you. I I really liked hearing your perspective. I really just liked hearing everyone's perspective because we all yeah. have very different backgrounds yeah, to bring to fun. this. Totally. Yeah. So it, it made a very nice discussion. Yeah, agreed. Anyway, I would like to thank my co-host, Dr. Gabrielle Gabby Beans, for joining us. I really appreciate it. And you are the Aya of our lives. Not- and so Good is one. the Aya of our lives. Does Aya get crunk and then forget to take her eye her contacts out before she goes to sleep? I think I don't not. know. Maybe that's in the second book. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aya thinks so. <laughs> Kill me. Oh, Binti, will you lead us out with some music? Oh, no. Yes. Can you sing a song that sums up the experience of this podcast as well as Aya? Oh, my God. I can't even. Now that I'm on the spot. Oh, this is going to be so bad. But you got the mic. But I got the mic. All you need is one mic. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. Oh, gosh. Aya. There's a girl named Binti, won't it? That's my (laughs) name, too. Spep. There's no O. That's all. Woo! Thank you guys for sitting through that.